Mushroom out of his head. Alaska. Okay. Um. Had wooden teeth. Chased Moby Dick. That's Captain Ahab, dude. Oh wait. Remember Disney World? Hall of Presidents. Yeah. Good. What did he say? Welcome to the Hall of Presidents. Hi. Brought you guys some food. Sixteen seconds after the hour of eleven, and this, the month of March in the year of our Lord two thousand and nine. Thank you for coming along and making it part of your listening day. We are live from the plushly appointed yet not overly ostentatious studios of AM nine seventy. The Talker. Thank you for coming along and uh, joining us on this uh, Thursday. It is day twelve. It is five zero three seven three three two nine seventy. It is five zero three seven three three two nine seventy. If you'd like to join us with your me. With your comments, but the best part about the cough button is how Sarah then gets to hear me clearing my throat, but nobody else does. So everybody is shielded except for Sarah. Like, listen to this. Ah! There you go. So gross. Not that I'm one to talk because I was thinking nose kettle yesterday. You know what? Is it an off-putting sensation of physical, uh, uh, you know, like sort of a visceral off-putting sensation caused by, uh, like, expectoration? That's just one of the many services we provide here at the Rick Emerson Show. It's 503-733-2970. We'd like to join us today with your comments, questions, clarifications, conventions, ruminations, ponderings, musings, two cents, what have ye. 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. You can also email if you like. It's rick at rickemerson.com. Rick at rickemerson.com. Sarah at 970.am or Richie with a T at 970.am. 
Coming up later on today's CNN Radio Correspondent, Steve Kastenbaum will join us from New York City. We've also got uh, CNN Radio Correspondent and Cavalcade of Fun, Bob Costantini. Uh, David Walker from BadassMofo.com will be sitting in the uh, news uh, chair. Mr. Skin from MrSkin.com. I got all this excess saliva in my mouth today. Can we get like a like a sensation in your mouth as though you haven't brushed your teeth, though I have. And it's kind of a weird all-over graininess. I don't know where it's coming from. Are you, like, trying to make me sick? <laughs> no. I don't think I really have to try all that hard. I think just as I my natural the... aura, Sarah. No, I mean, you're just being particularly gross today. <laughs> I have not. You know what? We're not even ten minutes into the program. I know. I have not yet begun to defile. Uh, in any event, uh, I do believe we're going to talk to Peter Carlin from the Oregonian as well, plus our good friend Chris Paddock will step into the studio here in just a few for Lost in 408. And I have to tell you, I found no news stories this morning because I've been on Lost Message Board online. You heard it. I know. I can't stop. You're no longer allowed to make fun of me spending time on, like, Left for Dead message boards or working on my Xbox avatar. It's, no, it's true. You are, it's, it's a free-for-all today. All right, excellent. All right. Uh, so all that's coming up. We've uh, let, It's High Concept Thursday. Well, yes, I meant to do High Concept Wednesday. That didn't happen. Uh, so we'll try to get to it today. Geek Watch coming up today. Religious Nutcase Watch. Teacher Watch coming up as well. Phone Calls. One might almost say inexplicably so. So we'll get to those uh, in just a moment as well. It's 503-733-2970. We are joined today, as always, by the lovely and talented Sarah Stillen. Hello. How are you today? Hi. Have you been wallowing all morning in lost musings? Oh, my gosh. There are so many new revelations that happened last night. And by revelations, I mean things that other people figured out that I didn't figure out that I've learned from um, you know, message boards today. Excellent. It is so cool. I can't wait to talk to Paddock because we, we've, we have not spoken about it today. Now, do you have a preferred lost message board that you go to, or do you go to a series of lost message boards, or do you just have... I go to a few of them. So, I mean, so not one in particular, but then, like, usually what I'll do is I'll, I'll see somebody's idea on, like, a thread or something, and then I'll start researching their idea, and then I kind of get lost and... Lost in and lost. I get yes. lost and lost. Are they, uh, now, are they bookmarked? No. Okay. No, so you, no, don't, just, you don't have your lost sites bookmarked? No, I'm not really. I don't. Do you I, go to the same one every time? I, I go to the, the same few every time. Okay. All right. Okay. So you just type it in. Yeah. All right. Okay. I didn't know if you had like a whole because I'm kind of I'm kind of anal about organizing uh, my my own like bookmarks. So I have them into like news, you know, or music, or mm. you know, uh, like uh, you know, video games or whatever. And I have them all categorized, and it's like cat- folders inside of folders inside of folders. So I don't know if you'd actually gone through and created a whole series of lost message board bookmarks. Oh no, because I just get so sidetracked. So I'll see somebody's, you know. They'll, they'll suggest something. I'm like, oh my god, that's incredible. And so I'll still, so I'll Google it, and then I'll like get into the Wikipedia part of that, and then all of a sudden I'll see an, another name that's tied into another character in Lost, and then I'll get like sucked into that. And then, before you know it, Chris Paddock and I are like babbling like, you know, like children Excellent. about the tie-ins. It is so cool, though. It keeps getting cooler. Oh. Was, <laughs> wow. So was this the bulk of your evening last night? No, no, I did Lost and then um, went to my friend's birthday party and... Um, oh, wait, who... Uh, can I ask who that was? Who, who had a birthday party last night? Oh, he wasn't, he wasn't a good friend of mine. His name's uh, Bradley. I got a text last night from somebody who was like, Hey, they're throwing a birthday party, party for me tonight. You should come. Was it at East End? I have no idea. Huh? Uh, I didn't respond because I didn't recognize... Because it wasn't from a name. It was from a number I didn't recognize. Huh. And I looked up the number in my, uh, my address book and I couldn't figure out who it was. It didn't match anybody. And I, I was kind of looking at the text going... Uh, well, if I text back, like if I respond, then they know I've gotten it. Mm. And then if it's somebody that, like, I don't want to go to the party, then I'm sort of locked into it or I have to look like an ass. So I just didn't, I just sort of deleted it. So whoever, I don't know who you are, whoever Happy it was, <laughs> if you know, it was like 9 o'clock or something last night, you sent me a text like, ah, they're throwing me a party, you should come by. 
And I looked at it, and I stared at it for a while, and then I went through, and I tried to figure out in my address book who it belonged to or if the phone number matched up to somebody, and I couldn't figure it out. And then I was checking, like, my... You go to MySpace, and it's like, you have new birthday alerts or whatever it is. Birthdays you check of all people. your birthday alerts? Couldn't find anybody, and so I had no idea who it was. So if, if you're out there, uh, whoever you are, if you're somebody that I know relatively well, and I should have been there, or you feel bad that I didn't show up or that I didn't respond... It's just because I didn't want it to be, uh, you know, some jackass, uh, and then it's like I'm locked into going, or I look like I'm, you know, just being the jerk about it. So mm-hmm. yeah, anyway, so it was somebody's birthday party last night. I didn't go. Yeah, so it was. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't really particularly know him, but I have a lot of mutual friends with him. So I went there and like, it was just fascinating. Like, um, so I went to this bar at the East End. Have you ever been there? No. It is like hipster central. It's crazy. I've never felt more nerdy like going into a place. Like everyone, you know, is just like. Full tattooed and cool and has, you know, like, expensive haircuts. Did you try to engage them in lost discussion? No. Welcome to my world. (laughs) Welcome to my world every time you take me anywhere. Seriously, I was just looking at everybody, like, watching all these pretty people go by. I'm like, how do you even put together an outfit like that? I'm like, how do you, like... How do you do what you do? It was it was fascinating. That's like that time that I had to go to Holocene because you were going to be on that famous mysterious actor thing. And so I'm at Holocene, and it's just like hipster asshats everywhere, like, as far as the eye can see. And, you know, and it, they're like, so what do you do? And I'm like, I stay at home, and I play beautiful Katamari on the Xbox 360, you know. And they're, you know, meanwhile, they're like, you know, they're talking about some, they're talking about, like, some European synth-pop band that's, like, all the rage. And I'm, you know, and I'm standing there in my black T-shirt just feeling like a tool. And I know. Yeah. Everyone's, like, looking so cool, and they're talking about, like, their new tattoos they're going to get and stuff. And I'm like, <laughs> what about my friend's house <laughs> watching lots. Can you believe Sawyer was Jim LaFleur? I can't believe it. All right, then. Never mind. And oh, yeah, so that was my night. So it was, like... Super geeky and then super awesome. All right. I was, in fact, lame in every... Guess what time I went to bed last night? Uh, one. No. Eleven. I went to bed at nine o'clock. <gasps> Did you sleep all through I went the to bed. Night? I slept from 9 p.m. until 8 o'clock this morning. Maybe you're fighting off, like, my sickness. I was just... I had a... I think I've acquired what scientists call a sleep deficit over the last few nights. Because, you know, because Lara's gone. And so I just sleep really poorly when she's not around because you get the whole... You know, because it's, it's a change and it's, you know, whatever and blah, blah, blah. So... I talked to Laura. I sent her a text message at like, I don't know, like 8.15 or something. And normally I wouldn't be boring everybody with a discussion of when I went to bed. It's just, I got home, I don't know, I I got home at maybe 7.30, 7.45 or something. I was like working here late, then I went home. And it was that thing where I sat down on the couch and I thought, I don't even have the energy to pick up the remote control to watch Anderson Cooper. And then I found myself just staring into space and I realized that I had gotten so little sleep for the previous few nights just because I was sleeping so badly and like, F this, I gotta go to sleep. I'm gonna pull the ripcord on this now. So I sent her a text message and I said, I'm gonna go to bed in like 45 minutes. So if you wanna talk before I'm asleep, you gotta call like now. So she called uh, from Provo, and I was like, eh, baby. Oh, I'm... she's still in Provo? Oh, yeah. No, she's there until tonight. What a nice daughter. Yeah, so I, uh, but I just said, I'm exhausted. So I'm going to be falling asleep, so we got to talk now. So we uh, we talked, and I said, how's Provo? And she said, how's Portland? And then I was like, and that's it. I'm out. And so I fed the dogs, took the dogs outside, because I want them waking me up at like 4 in the morning, demanding that, you know, to go for a run or something. And, yeah, I went, and here's, I don't even remember like, I remember getting into bed at, at 9 o'clock. It was like 9.02, I think, because I was setting my alarm before I went to sleep. I remember getting into bed at 9.02, and then just... And the next thing I knew is that the Blackberry went off this morning, and then the dog, dogs you know, be, get, jump up on the bed, and they just... get trampoline and waking me up. That was it. So I slept for... What is that? 12, 11 hours? 
So I slept for 11 hours oh, in a row. Oh, man. That uh, can be a bad thing. Oh, it's fantastic. So I'm completely rested for the first time in, like, forever. So there you go. That's awesome. I'm looking forward to some rest today. <sighs> I, I remember rest. I, yeah, I... I remember rest too. Like every time I'm sick, like I just when you need the most sleep, like that's when I can't sleep. No, no, that's when the universe decides to begin punishing. And then like my eye is all. I told you yesterday because I'm not getting enough sleep. It's like my left eye is all twitchy. You know what it is? That's because you're externalizing all the stress uh, that you've been carrying around inside about your sickness and your whatever. It's all manifesting itself as an uncontrollable eye twitch. Pretty soon you're gonna look like Joey Kramer from Aerosmith who can't have a conversation. Stop it. No, I'm just saying. If you ever see that guy interviewed, Joey Kramer. Uh, there's this great documentary about the making of the pump record, and they're in, they're interviewing Joey Kramer, and he blames it on Steven Tyler. He says that Steven Tyler was so stressful when they were all drinking and drugging throughout the 70s. He said the dealing with Steven Tyler and Joe Perry was so unbelievably stressful that it all just externalized itself in his left eye because no matter what the scenario is, no matter what the situation is, it's like his eye is just some sort of a Mexican jumping bean. It's just and he's just constantly blinking it and twitching it and it's jerking around. It's all very weird. No. I'm just saying, whatever you do, don't dwell on that. It hasn't been doing it so much today, but yesterday, Did you all day, drink it was just about like. It? No, well, because I know it's because I'm tired. Oh, okay. No, my shrink. Okay, this is what my problem is: is that I will sit there and. I'm talking about things, but I don't like to talk about my problems so much, and I'm sure as you know, that I will deflect, and then in turn the person ends up telling me a lot about them. So I know more about my shrink and her problems from my um, experience yesterday than than she does about me. Well, that sounds like that's money well spent. Seriously, I think I'm getting to the point where I don't really, um, like, I love hanging out with her. Like, basically, I'm paying to just hang out with this cool lady, like, you know, once every few weeks. I think I might be done with my shrink time. I was just going to say, I mean, you might consider just, I don't know, just taking that money and just spending it on cupcakes or something. I know. Instead. I know. I think it's done, but I don't want to see it go because I really enjoy spending time with her. But, I mean, once we Well, do you getting... feel like she solved whatever it was she was supposed to solve? I think so. I think I've talked about everything that I was supposed to talk about. Do you feel better? Yeah. Okay, well, then I would say you're probably done. I mean, I don't know. I'm not a doctor. I guess so. But I don't want to hurt her feelings. And then, like, oh, she was working through her issues with me, talking about, like, her marriage. And... Well, that's just retarded. That's like, I, I, I mean, no offense. I'm just, that's like saying, that's like saying I'm, I'm going to quit, you know. I, feel... I caught myself saying, like, so how do you feel about that? Really? Saying, yeah. Have you considered the fact that your shrink is crazy? Yeah. That's like not, that's like if you took your car to the shop and then the guy fixed the rattling problem. And you're like, I don't know, I don't want to go pick up my, uh, I don't want to go pick up my car because then the mechanic will hate me. I'll be, I'll feel guilty. But or that, or like if your car just runs correctly, saying you feel bad for not taking it to the mechanic so he can charge you like ninety bucks an hour to look at, it, even though the car is working. I know. I'm not She's saying so you're awesome, sane. Though I know. Well, I just been I mean, hanging out with her and like drinking tea and you know. Have you considered that you're being hustled? No, I think that but she's just a lady. I enjoy her company, and, like, she's, I don't know, she's just kind of crazy in the same way as I am. Yeah, you're right. I probably shouldn't go anymore. This sounds, I mean, look, I'm not trying to pass judgment. I'm just saying this sounds very much like a, I'm not saying she's actively scamming you, but I'm just saying, first well, of all, not, for a well, moment there, it sounded like you were talking about an escort, for one thing. Yeah. I don't know. She's just a great lady, and I enjoy her company. And whatever happens once we're together, I mean, I'm paying for the time. Whatever happens inside that time, that's, a, it was that's her choice. It was kind of weird yesterday. Like, she revealed some, like... You think your shrink has a crush on you? Be honest. No. Okay. But I think maybe she sees a little bit of herself in me. So she's speak. like, Yeah, because, I mean, we're, we're the same, like, she's a Libra as well, and she's just kind of crazy. She's been married, like, um, like four or five times. That's great. <laughs> That's wonderful. Where did you find her? Did, has she shown <laughs> you the degrees? <laughs> really? <laughs> do, the, do, do the degrees on her wall look a little smudgy? Are they in black and white? You know, to tell you the truth, I meet her at her house, and I've never seen any degrees. <laughs> <laughs> Win! Now, that's fantastic. Uh-huh. 
Oh, boy. Well, I think we'll leave it at that. I don't know that I can make that any better. Well done, Sarah Dillon. Thank you. Uh, no problem. Uh, let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from Rock 101 KUFO, our good friend Chris Paddock. Hello, sir. I'm, I'm stunned at the moment. I can't follow I can't that help. up. Wow. I can't. University of Kinko's, maybe? Yeah. I don't know. That's, that's She's bizarre. very nice. Uh-huh. Yeah. Sure. That's well, what they all she, say. She fixed me. I mean, I don't... She, she fixed you. Yeah. Or maybe I fixed Well, me. maybe the fact is that she was married four or five times might be kind of a... You yeah. know, this, this marriage is going pretty strong. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. All right. Anyway. How are you, Sorry. Chris? Sorry. Well, that's uncomfortable. <laughs> I'm great. Well, look, I mean, I understand what... Look, I will say this real quickly before we move off the shrink talk and out of the lost talk. Um, I know what you're saying in some ways because uh, the first couple of shrinks I went to... I very carefully avoided saying anything that would actually let them help me, because I was just, you know, which is, I'm not trying to say that you're like me or that we're in that, in no, that, in that no, way. No, I exactly what you mean, though. Because I was just being, you know, I was just, uh, you know, I was just being kind of a jackass about it, and, and 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 also because the first, I think the first two shrinks I went to, I was going for all the wrong reasons, all the stuff you know that everybody knows that I was going because somebody else wanted me to go, not because I thought it was a good idea, mm-hmm. and it was a lot of like, if you don't go to a shrink, I'm going to set fire to your stuff and kick you out. I'm like, oh, fine. Whore, I'll go to a shrink, you know, and I would go just, you know, and I was all just angry about it because I felt like I was, well, I was kind of being pressured into it and I was just not like man enough to be like, well, no. And so maybe we should just, uh, maybe we should just uh, break up. What do you think about that? Huh? And so I didn't do that. I would just be like, fine, I'll go to a shrink, stupid girl. I would just sit there and be all angry about it. And so it wasn't until um, the like 99 or 2000 like that. Uh, that I was just stuck in this just goddamn just miserable awful job where I wanted to kill myself every morning, and I just uh, and I that's when I finally went to a shrink because like I needed to go to a shrink. Mm-hmm. That's when it went. That's when it went much better. That's when things started going more swimmingly, uh, because I, it was sort of like my own decision. So anyway, that being said. Uh, I'm sure everything's fine. No, because I think that I opened myself up to her, like, a lot in the beginning. And then I think now that I've, like, discussed all the things I want to, now I'm back to trying to be charming. Right. You know? Yeah, yourself you don't want to the couch, maybe. Like, she's on the couch, and you're in the chair, and you're taking notes. It was kind of strange, I have to say. She, yeah. like, what? I'll, in the I'll tell you up here what she told me. It was kind of, it was kind of like, very honest. I'm like, oh. I think there's some reverse transference going, going on. Because mm-hmm. yeah, you know the thing with transference. Have they talked to you about that? Mm-hmm. Here's the thing with transference, since we're just going to do shrink talk. Uh, the uh, Here's the thing with transference. When you go to a shrink, God, could we be more of a stupid white Woody Allen film? <laughs> I mean, um, the thing with transference is when you go to a shrink, uh, specifically if you were having relationship issues, they will tell you to be careful of this because transference means, let's say, for example, that Sarah is my shrink, and I'm going there because i got, like, problems with my girlfriend. Mm-hmm. So you walk in, you got problems with your girlfriend, but you're talking to Sarah, who's your shrink, and then... You are working out the problems with the girlfriend through the chick shrink, and they say that the real risk there is that you then begin to uh, react to the shrink as though she is the girlfriend, because she is basically taking that side of the issue. She's not role-playing as such, but she's handling... In other words, you're working out the girlfriend problems through the chick shrink, which means that she can be the repository of all those feelings, right. which is why all the client shrink crushes happen all the time. So it's same thing. You go in, like you have all these weird dad issues. you got a guy shrink, blah, 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 blah. Suddenly shrink is dad. And then if you're a girl, that can be all weird That's and strange. That's so funny because she does talk to me about, like, 
being younger yeah. and freer and yeah. that is so strange. So they always say to be careful with transference because if you are going in with like husband, wife, girlfriend, boyfriend, whoever, the shrink can then start to represent that person to you, which means you can attach all the feelings you would attach to boyfriend, girlfriend onto shrink. But it can also be reversed. So I'm saying now maybe there's some reverse transfers going on here where the whatever the uh, issue is that your shrink is trying to work out, she is projecting onto you, and so now now you and those feelings are inextricably linked to her. That's just my theory. Mm. I'm not a doctor. Yeah, it was, yeah. Hmm. All right. Hmm. Does she ever uh, show up just completely naked on the sofa waiting for you? Sorry, where are the crickets? That's, I where are the crickets? That's one step too crickets? far. Sorry. All right. Let's, uh, let's do this, shall we? quiet in here. All right, are we ready to discuss the loss? Oh, I am so ready. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, Chris Paddock and Sarah Dillon in Lost in 308. No, I'm sorry, 408. Sarah Dillon, I have one word for you. I think it's the clue for everything. It's a country. Egypt. Egypt. It's all yeah. about Egypt. Yeah, totally. Okay, first off, oh my God, finally see the four-toed statue. Rick, the four-toed statue. Was well, wait, 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 wait. We don't have... We, we think it is the four-toed statue. <sighs> because we, we only saw the back of it, and it looked vaguely Egyptian. It had kind of a weird uh, wig. I have a, a theory as to who that statue is. Okay. Would you like to know who I think that is? Yes. It is Richard Alpert. I don't think the, that statue is because I've been doing some research. I think it's a representation research. of him. No, I've been doing some research on like like Egyptian mythology and whatnot, and uh, and also looking at a bunch of message boards. I'm a total dork. Yeah. Um, there's this uh, this uh, Egyptian mythological creature called Anubis who represents uh, the afterlife in Egyptian mythology, and look, I've looked at pictures of it, and the backside of that is totally um, it's like it's, the same. It's thing? the same thing. Okay. And then let's talk about Richard Alpert All right. and that genius line with Sawyer and he, he calls him out on the whole eyeliner thing, which Egyptians have been known to do mm-hmm. if we look at any old hieroglyphics and or episodes of ISIS yes, from the and, 70s. And also in the Ankh, yeah. the Ankh yes. being represented over and over again. Yes. So, Richard Alpert, the eyeliner, Richard Alpert, R.A., Roth, the, the god of um, of the sun. It's it's starting to come together, isn't it? It is. All right. Anyway, so then, okay, how about this? The show kind of sneaks up on you. They're doing the whole previously on Lost. And then all of a sudden, know, the sudden, show ended up starting. They show the statue, and yeah. I'm like, wait, are they trying to pretend like they showed the no, statue they last didn't. week? They, they kind of fooled you there for a second, but then we find out, our, you know, Sawyer, Juliet, Jin, uh, and the uh, other dude, that uh, the, the guy who talks to ghosts. Yeah, Miles. Yeah, Miles. Yeah. They're all hanging out, and it's 1974. So basically, yeah, and so they have to wait for three years for the other people to come back, and meanwhile, they're part of the Dharma Initiative now. Yeah. And here's this. Sawyer becomes the head of security, which I like to point out, he takes on the name Jim LaFleur. LaFleur, if I recall, was the head of security in the movie Mallrats. LaFours. Was it LaFours? LaFours. Oh, okay. you're blowing yeah, it. I screwed up. All right. Well, you know, Richard Alpert and the Raw Thanks, Connection, dude. how everyone's talking about um, the Egyptian Connection. Also, Ben Linus, or, yeah, Ben Linus's father's name is Horace, and he was featured a lot in this past I don't episode. think Ben Linus's dad is Horace, though. Horace Goodspeed is the dude that delivered Ben Linus on the side of the road or but whatever. But Horace is the one that, that Ben kills. Yes. Yeah, that's his father. No, it's not his dad, because his dad was played by the dude, John Grise, from uh, Napoleon Dynamite. Think about it. So then anyway. where do I know the horse guy from? Because he was the guy that was having the nosebleed, and he was building a cabin, and Locke ran into him. Oh, when he was Remember? a ghost, and he said that he He's was like, dead. Yeah. Oh. And he kept repeating because he was skipping. Remember? Yeah, no, but that was like from the first seri- uh, like, like season two, two, three seasons ago. Yeah. yeah. So get that. And he was building the cabin. What if... That's the cabin that houses Jacob. What if Horace is Jacob? I think Horace might be Jacob because, uh, according to um, Wikipedia, my best friend, Ra and Horace are all, uh, can be the same person. Okay. Like, in, in Egyptian mythology, they, they also have combined. 
Don't, don't, go ahead. Oh, no, 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 I'm saying, yeah, so, so Ra says, uh, Ra's the Egyptian sun god, and then, um, like, throughout time, like, they started to kind of blend together, so Horus and Richard Alpert seems like, seem like they might have some kind right, of connection well, together. we gotta think about this, too. Juliet and Sawyer doing it, looking hot. Uh, Juliet looks oh, like Oh, I love Juliet. And, okay, and get this, Sawyer meets up, he finds, Jen finds, uh, Hurley and, and Jack and Kate, and, and you think Sawyer's over Kate, but no! no Kate shows up on the beach! Okay, what's the, what's who do you think the baby is? Who do you think the baby is? Um, ooh, what if it's, well, we see baby Charlotte. What I think if it's, it, it's that Caesar dude? I think it's Hurley. Oh, wow. Now that is a trip. So you mean Cheech isn't Hurley's dad? I think not. Oh, we, go. we got everything handled there? It yeah. was quite an episode. I have to do more research on uh, Egyptian mythology. I, I, I'd like to tell you something. I went in without doing too much research here. Uh, Sarah Dillon, I'm actually kind of jealous that you uh, decided to kind of... You're not jealous. Going. We have no news stories pulled for today. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, because I've been... It's all about prioritizing yeah, on the show, good. Chris. That's good. It's good. all about triage. So, hey, don't if you I... feel like you're missing something, Rick? Well, I do know that if I have pretty cool. Uh, someday when I form an alt country band, it's gonna be for uh, it's gonna be called Horace Goodspeed. Oh, you like and that? We're gonna, and I'm gonna say my influences are like Wilco and the Jayhawks. <laughs> <laughs> That's gonna be a good sound. Jesus. What? I mean, I'm, I really am not making fun. I really, honestly, am not. I'm just saying. Dude, the whole Egyptian spin on it is nuts. Here's here's my thing though. I, and you know, you know, I'm being honest when I say this. I'm not making fun. I am into all kinds of insane crap. Uh, and you know, and I sit around. I mean, it's not just like you know, like Left for Dead is an obvious current example. But in any number of things in sort of geek culture, you just sit around, and you obsess over like a nitwit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like Clyde and I had this whole long conversation not too long ago about uh, about Joseph Campbell and the hero's journey and Kiss, and whether the four characters in Kiss are basically are, are based on Egyptian of all things Egyptian uh, Egyptian uh, archetypes and whatever of like the um, you know of of, of the cat. And then the the the, um, the god the who would be the extraterrestrial and the demon and then creation which would be Paul Stanley the lover the star, the star child, child. Mm-hmm. so we had this so look it's not like I don't do any of these things I'm just saying as Steven Tyler said when you're in the picture you can't see the picture so I don't think you guys sometimes realize from the outside just how insane your conversations <laughs> can seem well I. I do Not that they're bad. Say. They're they're really entertaining well, in a strange way because it is. It's like looking at Burroughs' word salad. It's starting to make me feel like maybe it's you know how Shatner felt about the Trekkers and everything. And it was like <laughs> you know this was just a show I did on a whim. <laughs> maybe that's how Kiss was like. Hey, we were just four guys in a in a basement in Brooklyn and we decided to you know start a band and wear makeup. We thought that was the thing. I'm sure they weren't thinking about Joseph Campbell at no, the time. No, no, I don't think they were. <laughs> Although they do answer a lot of questions in Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park, which is ordinary mortals without our talismans. There you go. Yeah. All right. Well, All right. Hey, All right, Patrick, we have, have two of, weeks. You and I have a lot of research two to do weeks in the next until two weeks. Yeah, two weeks until the next new episode. Wait, why two weeks? I don't there's know. Not, oh, there's some crappy Eli Stone marathon or something. I'm going to be no, really so Patrick, We need to have study nights. Okay. Or we Done. study all of our, and we need to Let's analyze go to the library. Can law. we go to the library over at PSU and we'll, like, uh, get a study room? Hey, while yeah. you're there, ask Giles about uh, stopping the three from coming out of the hell mouth. Jesus. I feel so much better about myself every time we have these conversations because I know that I sometimes in this room I can feel so terribly alone because <laughs> even though Sarah's geeky in her own way, occasionally I feel like I'm just like I'm just so irredeemably nerd-like about some things. Mm-hmm. And then days like today, you know what it is? It resets the baseline, and I realize the horizon is kind of the same for all of us. You're the cool way. guy. That, that, well, that's you are cool. the cool guy. Right yeah, now. you're the cool guy. Well, just, ter- just admit it. In terms of lost, but cool guy, cool guy is the wrong way to put it because that presumes that talking about lost isn't cool. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying occasionally. Occasionally, I feel like 
Like I'm just out there like the lone geeky horseman in this room. But then I realized days I did realize it. it we it, 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 we're all today we're all geeks. Yeah. Or whatever. It's, I'm trying to do like a Revenge of the Nerd speech, but it's not really coming together. Coming. But you know what I mean. So all right, two the weeks. The fact that I'll Sarah, by the way, just spent all of her morning on a message board and researching Egyptian mythology. I mean, it's like the best thing I've ever heard in my life. I mean, it's. I mean, and I think I speak for any number of guys in the audience when I say that's kind of hot in its own way. I mean, yeah. it's just there's something cool about Maybe that. Maybe she's inspired to become an anthropologist. She or could be the next Margaret Mead or shrink. <laughs> yes. Evil. That would right. be something. Thank you again. I can't wait for two weeks. Me too. <laughs> All right. Chris Paddock, ladies and gentlemen. Good God almighty. All right. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Now, how about this one? This one's lost. That show really annoys me, but these discussions of it are very entertaining. See? Right there. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Thank you, public. Okay. And just P.S. How much do you dislike Kate? She's lame. Dun, 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 lame. Lame. Very lame. But I did I I I give them a score for making an Enos reference last night. An Enos reference? <laughs> Enos. Never mind. Enos? I, <laughs> I love this show. Back after this, it's the Rick Everson program. They'll go out and... Up. Yeah. I uh, I won't repeat that, obviously, but uh, during the break, Sarah was telling me something that her shrink revealed to her. It's messed up that your shrink would even tell you that. Like, apropos of nothing. All right. Well, it's like, up. Like, really, like, honestly, uh, I don't even know how it came up. It's no fair on the audience here, so we'll have to... I'm sorry. No, uh, I'll say we'll have, to, we'll have to move on. I'm just... As we were going to the break, Sarah's like, my shrink told me the most messed up thing. I'll tell you what it is during the break. And then, so during the break... Sarah revealed to me this thing that her shrink told her, which I and I can't even I can't even come up with anything different, like totally different, that would even convey how yeah. <laughs> I mean it, like really, and it absolutely like we were talking about nothing along those lines. All of a sudden, she's kind of blurted it out. I'm like, like uh, okay, what about this? I'm gonna write something down. Um, let's see. I'm going to write something down. This is, like, not what the shrink said. What a, is this, like, could I say this on the air as a way to indicate how weird it is? Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay, so imagine if you were just talking. Uh, this is not what Sarah Shrink told her, but this, but this will give you an idea. So I'm going to use this as a comparative statement. You all out there, ooh, and then we'll get, uh, um, we will get uh, Bob, or I'm sorry, Steve Kastema, who's, who's on, being on hold very patiently Thanks, here. Steve. Uh, Steve. Okay. Um, imagine that you're sitting there talking to your shrink, and then apropos of nothing, like as part of no existing conversation, with no context, your shrink just goes, oh, yeah, and by the way, my dad was D.B. Cooper. That's kind of weird. Anyway, Sarah, back to your problems. <laughs> so Sarah's shrink told her something kind of like that. 
And but there was no lead up to it. Like there wasn't any reason. No, no. Like I think maybe I said something about my sister. Like you know, like oh, like she was gonna, like she's coming to visit or something. I was really excited and. And she said, speaking of family, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And you went, wow, why did you just and tell me that? I didn't even know how to respond. I'm like, really? Like, I'm sitting here talking to you about my life, and, like, you put that on me? And so I had to be like, so how does that make you feel? So, shrink, let me comfort you about your dad being D.B. Cooper. <laughs> wow. God damn it. Welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show. CNN Radio correspondent Steve Kastenbaum. Hello, sir. Hello. I'd have no confidence that the shrink was actually doing good therapy with me then if they all of a sudden went off on a personal non-sexual. I know. I know. She's so nice, though. I, I... Sarah, by the way, revealed that she meets the shrink at the shrink's home, and she's never seen any of her degrees. Ooh. Also, the shrink has been married four times. I, I thought they always had their diplomas up in their offices. I think that you'd be allowed to inspect those if you asked. I think that you'd be provided... Look, I know that CBS is cutting some corners these days and trying to save revenue, so who knows? Maybe, like, you know, maybe it's not so much a shrink as it is, like, you know, uh, just just some woman they found at, like, a Greyhound station or something. And they asked her, you know, Les Moonves asked her if she wanted to provide health care for the company. She was giving good advice at the entrance to the bus terminal, right? <laughs> Seriously. She was catering She was catering something at Dan Mason's house. Hey, uh, do you want to be a shrink? Jesus. All right, All right well. Steve, I sent it to you. Oh, th- thank you. You sent you sent him what? Ooh, oh man, that's awkward. Did you? Oh, you just told. <laughs> yeah, just... All right, you just wow. told. Wow. <laughs> okay, see now this is but see now this is completely unfair to the audience because now right. Steve knows and I know and the audience doesn't know. Wow. I know hey. it's really. Personal. Okay, could we do this? Let me ask you this, Sarah. See now because it's going to start bugging people. This is going to be like one of those uh, things where like uh, it this is going to be one of those things where we've seen the Watchmen and nobody else has. You know, I know uh, today's the day that I've always told her I work on a radio show and she's never listened, and today's probably the day she's listening. Do you ever do that? Hey, that's a good. But you know, can you ever do this? You talk to somebody and they're like, "So what do you do?" And then you realize, you realize it's somebody that you know you're probably going to have a relationship with in some way, like a shrink. Mm-hmm. And so you don't want to lie because like if it's somebody, not that I'm 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 not that guy where I try to be like under the radar and whatever and aloof about it, but it's like because I used to be that way. I used to be, oh God, it's, this is one of those days where everything every time we open our mouths we're going to start un, we're going to start shrinking ourselves. Ugh, all right. Well, in any event, I'll tell that whole stupid story later. But the point is, where you talk to somebody and they're like, "What do you do?" and you say, "I." Do a radio show. I go. Oh, really? Where? Well, it's uh, it's uh, it's um, you know, here in Portland on AM 970. Really? What kind of show is it? And I say, that's oh, a talk show. Well, what time is it on? And they go, that's well, on 10 to 3. And they write it down. And you go, okay. And then sometimes they're going to listen, sometimes they're not. But as you pointed out, it's always the day mm-hmm. that you're like in in the studio is, is telling some horrible story or something awful is happening, some kind of meltdown taking place with one of us. And that's the day they listen. They go, yeah, I tuned into that radio show of yours. Boy, you guys are. Uh, you guys are crazy. I I don't understand what's up with that. You know, and then that's it's always that day. So, anywho, how are you, Steve? I'm doing okay. Um, uh, you know. despite the fact that uh, it, wow, I, we're not going to talk about the Dow today because we, you and I have a better story to talk about. I think, right? Yeah. But but the Dow's down big time again. Well, that's great. Uh, but we have the chimp story. <laughs> yes. And so the the this woman who was mauled last month by Travis the chimp remains in critical condition at the Cleveland Clinic. Um, I like this. It says, given the extent of her injuries, potential for recovery remains unclear. You know, Cleveland Clinic is the hospital that performed the first ever face transplant. Yes. So there was all this speculation that this woman, Charlotte Nash, would be a candidate for a face transplant. And they said any consideration of reconstructive options is premature at this time. Let me tell you how lucky this woman is. I mean, it's a wonder she survived at all. 
Listen to the extent of these injuries. Sarah, you might want to cover your ears because it's just horrible. All right. And just and can I interrupt for just one moment here? Sure. Um, Sarah, so I apologize. This is awkward. Uh, I, I, this is my fault. I scheduled this incorrectly. So we are supposed to be having Constantini here in, in a few, but I think that's probably not going to work at this point. Do you mind if we – we'll just probably have to – if he can't do it later, we may, in fact, have to have to just bump Bob for today, which I apologize. I Sorry, Bob. I hate to make you be the bearer of bad news, sir. Sorry, I'll make Richie be the bearer of bad news. <laughs> oh, yeah, so make Richie do it. I just uh, – yeah, I just – I want to make sure that we talk about this story, and, and I just uh, – I hate for somebody to kind of end up being on hold. So uh, we're going to we're gonna have to – have to uh, not have uh, Bob Costantini on today. All right, so that wait, and here's the thing. Now Sarah's out of the room, so you can give me the extent of the okay, injuries. Okay, ready. Here you go. Uh, I know you'll like this. She uh, she lost her nose, her upper wow. and lower lips torn off, eyelids gone, the bony structures in her mid face torn out. She also lost both her hands. Now I had heard on the day of the attack uh, from sources at, at the site that. The, the chimpanzee literally chewed her hands off. Now, okay, you, this could not have been timed more perfectly. Sarah left the room to go tell Richie to call CNN to let him know that we weren't going to be able to get to Bob Costantini today, and that we apologize. Rick Emerson regrets the error, etc. Literally, the second Sarah took off her headphones, Casterman starts listing off the injuries to this woman from the chimp, and he finished, I swear to God, Steve, that last word out of your mouth now, which was hands, uh-huh. you said it just as she put her headphones back on. Like, it was perfectly timed. <laughs> I, I will say this. We won't list them all again because they're off-putting. Um, anytime the list begins with completely uh, lost her nose, <gasps> that's what I'm saying. Oh, you wow. have no idea. And we won't list them again. We really won't okay. but, because they're, they're very graphic. But you have that's no idea the entries. That's, that's just the start. Of that's it, a yeah. bad beginning right there. Oh. And I guess the nose is that's sort of the low-hanging fruit of the face. So that's the thing you go for first, I would imagine. That's your point of entry. Good God. And, and she's got extensive uh, traumatic brain injuries. And I would imagine also uh, just feeling unnerved about the whole thing. So the question is, she's at the Cleveland Clinic where they were doing all these face transplants. It's like you. It seems to me. I mean, I'm no doctor, uh, but you. I'm not a head doctor, nor am I a face doctor. So it seems like maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. But you almost have to do a face transplant, like a de facto face transplant. Anyway, like you got no face. What do you, you can't be leaving the house like that? I, I, I have to be honest. Uh, she's um, obvi- obviously not conscious and. Uh, it's really not clear if she's uh, going to survive still at this point. Mm. Uh, it's 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 horrible what happened to this woman, and it's you know when you think about it, and when you hear the the injuries, and you try to paint an image in your head, you can't even imagine what this woman could potentially look like if she does actually survive. It, I, you do have to ask the question, like why was this? Uh, why? Because this is not the owner of the chimp. This is the owner's friend, right? Right. It was like a Dolores, come over for some tea. Uh, don't mind Travis, he's fine. And then Dolores gets out of the car and whatever. Although she was doing that weird thing of like, I guess she'd cut her hair and she was holding a Tickle Me Elmo or something in front of her face and there was the thought that the chimp didn't recognize her. But like, they kept making that point too, like allegedly in defense of the chimp. Like, well, you know what? She was holding a Tickle Me Elmo in front of her face. The chimp didn't know who she was. But it's like that, that, that cuts no ice with me because the implication from that sentence is that the chimp might have done this to anybody that it didn't recognize, which doesn't really make you feel good about the whole thing. So you got to ask the question, like, what were they doing even allowing this woman to own a lethal animal in the first place? You know, what's really, excuse me, what's really interesting about this is as soon as this incident happened, there was no end to the amount of uh, video footage that we were able to find of chimps uh, acting uh, erratically, right. for lack of a better word. And they're known, as they become adults and as they mature, 
you know, they're cute and cuddly when, when they're little baby chimps and they right. go on the talk shows wearing uh, the diaper as, as they're clinging to Jack Hanna. But um, when they grow up, they can become very erratic, and suddenly you have a 200-pound uh, primate that is ten times as strong as a human being going wild. They're, you're not going to stop it. Well, and this is, this is always the same phenomenon, too. It's the people who um, have, like, the baby tiger cubs or they have the baby oh. polar bear or something. Like, oh, he's so cute. He's going to live with me, and he'll grow up knowing that I am his pal. And the, two things happen. One, the thing no longer is cute and cuddly. And, and then, uh, two, you know, this idea that somehow, I mean, this is really just human arrogance, and it's just absolute apex. The humans have this whole thing, and this is specifically, you know, this is always a specific kind of human, too. There's always a specific kind, it's that like crunchy granola type human who believes that, you know, it's one of those communing with nature types. And it reaches its apotheosis with uh, that, like that grizzly man idiot. The guy's like, no, 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 I'm going to go out there and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a bear whisperer, uh, you know. And th they always believe that humans are just so unbelievably important and advanced that just our, our mere presence is enough to change like billions of years of evolution in some sort of animal. Which is not the case of polar bears. It's not the case. Nobody says it with a shark. I mean, it's like that's like nobody would. It's only with things that that have fur and that have like big eyes that look at you all glistening. Nobody would ever say, "Well, look, I'm going to raise this giant squid from a pup, and then he and I will swim together nude under the stars and frolic." Because that would sound insane. But if you give something fur, it suddenly you get a bunch of like public radio listeners who think that if they just adopt it as a baby, it's going to be their pal forever. Heck, you know, every once in a while we hear these uh, stories about uh, at, at an aquarium somewhere, uh, a trainer being attacked by uh, a killer whale that they were training. Yeah. Well, what are you getting into a tank with a killer whale for? Exactly. So yeah. it's just, I mean, and don't get me wrong, I'm not even really blaming the chimp, uh, you know, as as such. I'm the, you know, the chimp, chimps do what chimps are going to do. I mean, it's, it's, it's an animal. Uh, so it just it, it just it's that thing of like going and taking something that is supposed to be living in one part of the ecosystem, and bringing it in, putting it somewhere else, and then everybody got to go. Well, it's fine. He doesn't look. He's look. He's riding a bicycle in the old Navy commercial. So apparently, you can speak primate to these animals because I was watching uh, one of these uh, interactive pieces on the New York Times website the other day, and this reporter was um, in the Congo, and he in the, he was with these guys who were game wardens in this animal preserve, and they went back in after it became safe to go in right. there again, after, after, they, after these rebels vacated the area. So these wardens the, in, the, in, the, in this preserve, they go up to within like 20 feet or less of, of these gorillas that are out there in the wild. Right. They're, not, they're not even, quote, domesticated gorillas. And the guy said that basically if you grunt this certain way, and you do this grunt, and I won't attempt to, to do it, they know that you're a friend. <laughs> uh, Sarah, Wait, do you have any idea, like, what the grunt sounds like? Sarah's demanding that you do the grunt. It was sort of like, like a real, like, short, like, and then an inhale sort of thing. And, and that's it. If you do that, as you approach their territory, they know you're a friend. You're friendly, and they're not going to attack you. Can I tell you this? Uh, look, if you look on the Internet right now, or if you look at any of those, like, like Babelfish.com or the Alta Vista Translate. We can't even translate actual human languages into one another properly. The idea that I'm going to somehow be able to speak the language of a thing that could just tear off my lips, uh, you know, it, I think that that's an inexact science, to say the least, first of all. Mm -hmm. And in my 
in my experience, just based on things I've seen and read, people were always saying things like, no, 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 if you, uh, if you lick your palm and then you breathe into one of his ears and then you rub his belly and hop up and down three times, he'll understand that you are an equal. That is always done by people who have no actual scientific knowledge, right? It's always done by somebody who is, you know, the, the, it's like when you see on TV, like I was watching Anderson Cooper the other day, and they were talking about, I don't know, there was, there was like a meteorite or something over Texas, and so then they immediately bring on the guy who's a ufologist, and the ufologist is a guy who's like, I have an advanced degree in alien studies, and it's like, you you don't. There is no advanced degree in alien, you're, you know, you're, you're some guy who has an office in a garage where you make your own business cards, that's who you are. And so it is with these people like, no, 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 you can talk to dangerous animals and commune with them. That is somebody who is making up their own scientific knowledge to, to you know, to retrofit some sort of a, a title they want to give themselves. So, and, but to, to, and to wrap the whole thing up, just to be very clear, it, it, in a sense, as I said, I really don't blame the animals. I mean, animals are animals. Are animals. That's, that's what you get. It's just like every time these morons go out there for, you know, to, to try to film like, you know, like a leopard or something. I think I told you like very when that when that when Animals Attack show first came on the air, it was in like '96. I was living in Utah. I remember sitting on the couch watching when Animals Attack, and they're these morons in a pickup truck. It was so satisfying. The one guy's driving the pickup truck, the other guy's in the back of a pickup truck. I think he had the tailgate up, but I mean it's just a regular pickup truck, like a like a Ford, and he's sitting in the back with a video camera, and they're going through like I don't know the Serengeti Plain or somewhere, and there's it was like a uh, it was a, a, a what's the thing it spotted a leopard. Yeah, leopard. So it's, you know, the leopard or a tiger or something. I think it was a leopard. You know, it's a mother and the cubs. And they're getting within, like, I don't know, 50 yards of it or something. And the leopard looks directly at the camera, because the guy's holding a video camera. Looks at the camera and just stares. And it wasn't even a growl. It was just this fixed, unbroken, unblinking stare. And it was enough just to make your blood run cold. And But, of course, what do they do? No, he doesn't look. No, he's just standing there. Let's get a little closer. <laughs> so they back, they back up the truck, and they're getting closer and closer to this uh, leopard. And the leopard doesn't, again, doesn't open its mouth, doesn't even blink, just move, like steps forward with just its right foot, like it was almost getting into a starting block position. And then just continued to look. And they're like, all right, we probably go slow, back up, we'll get a little closer. And... Just all of a sudden, it just for no, like, I mean, I would say for no reason, but just with, no, with no further warning, the thing just snarled and leapt straight at the camera. And the truck got away, because they were still like 25 yards away, and I think the guy was just like, F this, floor it, and so they got away. But the camera, I will never, to this day, I mean, it gives me chills, I will never forget what it looked like, where the camera is zoomed in on the face of this, you know, lethal creature, and... Which had given two kind of distinct warnings, like, I'm staring at you, hey, I'm getting ready to walk toward you, get away. And just with no warning, it just, I wish I could have heard the sound, you could, it didn't pick, get, pick up the, the noise, but it just, it just uh, snarled and opened its mouth and you just see the rows and rows of teeth and it just leapt at the camera like it was on, like, rocket springs. I mean, it was terrifying. And so I have no sympathy for anybody that puts themselves in the proximity of a lethal animal and then complains when they lose a hand or two or a face. So hey, it's Rich, just... listen, I, I love my friend's Rottweiler. He's a pussycat in the house. But I know at any minute if that dog feels like he wants to, he's gonna he's gonna tear me apart. Oh yeah, no, you. I mean, you. Yeah, you were living on the good humor of of those animals uh, because it, they decide when and if uh, you're gonna die. So mm -hmm. Jesus, all right. Well, on that note, my friend, um, I had something else I was going to tell you that was amusing, but it's lost to me now, so I will simply uh, ask if you're going to be on tomorrow. I will be, and I'll speak to you then. All right, we'll speak to you then. Have a good day, sir. So long. Right, thank you. Bless you, sir. Thank you.
Um, so I don't even know where we were going with all this. Blah, blah, blah. Your shrink. Oh, let me ask you this. Yeah. So this awkward thing that your shrink revealed to you and that you told me and, the, and Steve, but that we haven't told anybody else. Um, now, see, I already know the answer to this. I know the answer before I ask. So don't worry about it. Um, I'll tell you. I won't tell you during the break because that would be then doubly unfair. Here's what I was going to ask you, but this is just for uh, demonstration purposes. I'm not officially asking you this because I already realized that the answer is is no and should be no, and that's fine. Okay. What I was going to ask is, what if what if we took the thing the shrink said to you and put it in a list of 15 things? And then, you know, and then like one of these things is what the shrink told Sarah. Here's 15 different things. Yes. You could do that. Are it's you sure? Like 15 things. Yeah. 10? 10. Okay. So we'd come no up with... No less than 10. And they have to be equally as ridiculous. Well, that's the thing. So I'd need your help on that. Okay. Let's do so it. we'd come up with 10 things. And one of them is... So that way people... Well, everyone will be satisfied because one of the things we said is what she said. And then one of the things is the thing the shrink revealed to you. Okay. That's fair. All right. So we'll do that maybe during the break. Okay. All right. Uh, on that note, well, we should take a break here. Uh, coming up, David Walker. Oh, by the way, by the way, by the way, by the way, uh, just so I don't embarrass him when he's in here, go to uh, rickemerson.com. Uh, it says the new posting it says David Walker equals genius. You click on, there's a link there. It says uh, film critic, professional curmudgeon David Walker joining us today's program. In the meantime, read the latest entry to this website. So go to rickemerson.com. Go to rickemerson.com. You click on the link, it'll take you to David Walker's website. Remember, he told us last week he was on MTV's Remote Control, and then he was also in this movie called Fatal Revenge. David Walker is an interesting, interesting man. He really is. So he was in a movie called Fatal Revenge where he plays. It seems for all the world that he is playing a gay Mexican here, but I'm unclear about that. Maybe that's just Aaron Duran's assessment. That was what Aaron told me. So it's an odd accent. I'll give you that. But then he's got like a big fro. So it's all very weird. Um, but so, but the, and then there's a death scene. So it's right up there with like Tim being tased by the alien and then Clyde's face melting in that vampire movie. We should do a whole like reel of just uh, people we know dying in films. Anyway, so you go to a rickemerson.com, rickemerson.com, click on the link, you watch David Walker. Uh, it starts at about 2.55 into the clip. It's a YouTube clip, but it starts about 2.55 in. We come back, David Walker, later on, we'll talk to Dorothy Carcassari from The Inquirer, uh, and uh, more. Stay there. It is the Rick Emerson Radio Program. We gave it the old college try. You know what? We really did. I'm sorry. It just... After we made up about five things, we realized it was a really bad idea. So here's what we're doing during the break. So Sarah Shrink uh, recently revealed uh, something, I would say, awkward and off-putting in person. Not off-putting, but just very um, unexpected. Shocking. And we were trying to figure out if there was any way we could discuss it. And so then we thought, you know, here's what we'll do. We'll create a list of ten awkward things. Equally horrible. Ten horrible things, one of which is the actual thing the shrink revealed. Then we'd read them all on the air, and then then like it would be the, the, you know, the satisfaction of not having the audience be shut out of, of the discussion, but also not actually revealing which of the things it is. And so we're, we're, creating, a, um, we're creating a whole list. Can, let me ask you this. Can I, can I read one of the... One of the ones you and I came up with. Yes, one of them, yeah. Okay, so here's, let me just. Now, keep in mind, the thing I'm about to read isn't true. The thing I'm about to read is not true. What does it say that here? Not true, not true. The thing I'm about to read is not true. 
But as we were drawing up this then aborted list of awful things to frame the real awful thing, let's see. What's one that I can, what's one that I can read here? Let's see. Um, what about the last one you wrote? Oh, okay. This is not true. Not true. I can't stress how much it is. this is not true. But one of the fake things that we'd come up with is... Is this the one about the... Uh, the worked her way in college? Oh, no, the, um, the, the one before that. <laughs> oh, her sister was a victim of the Green River Killer. So there you go. Not true. Not true. But that's like a thing we came up with to, like, bracket, like, And, like, the as their minds are going to dark places and they're becoming more and more horrible, I'm like, I love this woman. What am I doing? And then you have to ask yourself, like, what kind of people are we, Sarah? Well, like, we love the ones, we hurt the ones we love the most. You know that, right? No. It's true, I suppose. I... Just, we're just, Sarah I and I, with, with almost no effort, we're just generating awful things, theoretically, like in this woman's life, to bracket I the mean, real awful things. I had about thing. seven of them, I, like something inside me clicked off. I'm like, no, no, this like is the, a bad idea. The still small voice said, uh, maybe not. I uh, Okay. Uh, it's uh, 503-733-2970. Uh, we'll welcome David Walker to the program to do some news in just one moment. Hello. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Sir or madam, as the case may be. Hey, Rick. Hey, Sarah. Hello. Hey, how does your nose feel? It feels better. I did the nose kettle thing again last night, um, mm-hmm. and I don't think I had the right mixture. I didn't use the right water because it really hurt. Uh, probably more salt. No, I put a lot. Of, I, I used actual sea salt, but I think you're supposed to use distilled water because I used water. My friend lives near Woodstock, and they said that I guess their water's like harder or something. Mm-hmm. And so, like I used, the, I used you, their. You probably water. used too much salt. Is what you have noticed an improvement, though, huh? Not yet. I don't know. Would you go online and look? Because there's probably instructions online for how much salt and how much water. Yeah. So, on a totally unrelated subject, have you seen the uh, thing on Discovery Channel about the plane crash in the Hudson? Uh, No. Which thing? Uh, They had a deal on last night that told the whole story, and they actually had video of it and and interviews with the survivors and the whole thing. Because all I've seen, uh, I've seen some of the uh, surveillance videos that came out about a week afterwards that are extra creepy because there's no sound. And it's just like, and it's a static shot, so it's just... You know, here's a security camera of, of, you know, of the Hudson River and blah, 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 blah. And then all of a sudden, you see the plane, but with no noise. You just see the plane come into the frame and land and then skid on the water out of the frame. And it's just completely unnerving. And uh, a huge splash. What is, the, what is the video footage they have? Is it like recreation or is it actual footage? No, it's actual footage. That they had, Sweet. you know, of it sitting in the river of the crash that you saw. Oh. Um, uh. Interviews with the, the ferry operators and everything. Oh, you're just you're freaking me out, but I'm going to TiVo.com as we speak to, to record it. Hold on a second. Um, ooh, ooh, ooh. Well, and here, here's a thought that it would scare you. Yes. You know, they have the little yellow graphs that they pop out the door so that, you know, the emergency slide. Sure. Oh, I, I popped into my mind of the Octomom and her um, womanly parts being like that as the eight babies just kept shooting out one mm-hmm. after another, after another, after another. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> Thank you. Best audience ever. Um, hey, uh, real quickly, uh, just before before we uh, do anything else, let me just uh, well, let's welcome uh, David Walker. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm fantastic. Hold on, let me uh, find TV shows. Um, can you uh, lower that microphone ever ever so slightly? I think it's still set to uh, I think it's still set to to Dave Schmicky level. So we have to crank up a little higher from him. Um, so just before I set the, my TiVo to record this uh, Discovery plane crash thing, did you see, either of you, the... And this is the thing that really won't horrify Dave, because I don't think you're freaked out by the same kind of things that Sarah and I are. Sarah and I have this whole thing where we're freaked out by things that are in places they shouldn't be, like an airplane on the bottom of the ocean. That just freaks me out. It's just terrifying. Just the notion of an airplane sitting at the bottom of a river just terrifies me. It's just, just because it's one of those things that my brain is 
so unbelievably off put by it because the context is all wrong. Uh, you know, it'd be like seeing, um, I don't know, it'd just be like seeing an airplane sitting on top of the Chrysler building. I was just, I couldn't, I don't think I could take that. Um, so did you see, so they, you know, you and Sarah, by the way, uh, F you, sent me a whole bunch of photos of them lifting <laughs> the plane out, out of the, the river at night. Under the water. Where it was, oh. And just looking at that just freaked me out for like an hour and a half. Did you see how they are transporting uh, the plane back to like Boeing or wherever? Like th- like a parade through the streets? Through down a residential street at, at that. Oh my God, if I woke up and there was a giant plane going down the street. It was a little procession, and uh, the shot I saw, it was a residential street, which I guess they had to do to get it onto some sort of a freeway or whatever, and then they're towing it to Boeing because they don't want to cut it up. They want to leave it intact or as intact as they can. And the still photo that I saw, it was a screen capture from like some news outlet, like wherever. And it was a screen capture. It was so unbelievably terrifying to look at. It was like a straight shot down the residential street with the the, the, the rows of houses on either side, and at the far end of the street, just like just like it was, you know, like it was on its way to to the plaid pantry. You just see the plane like on the road, just on the street, just coming around the corner. It's just like as though it were a car. It which just freaks me out. Okay, I've got to find that. Yeah, it's deeply disturbing. So I know that David Walker isn't. Yeah, so that's, I, I I don't know. I just I've never given it that much thought. But thank you. Now I probably will be freaked out. By I give it lots. I probably of look thought at pictures all the time. Yeah, it's. <laughs> do you have anything? I mean, do, do you have any? I don't even know you call it a phobia, but a thing. Because I realize that there's no reason that should freak us out, but it does. Like, there's no actual logical underpinning to that. Well, because it's not right. <laughs> well, that's... It just shouldn't be going by your your front door. I mean, there's all kinds of things that aren't right. You and I were sitting here drawing up lists of things we could say about your shrink, which I suppose isn't isn't right either. I mean, there's, you and I are fascinated by all kinds of things that aren't right. That, though, hits some soft, some psychic weak point for both of us. I guess, you know what mine might be, maybe, I don't know, is... um. Is is because you're talking about Travis the chimp? Is when you see animals like totally outside of the context of where they belong. A couple of years ago, I was driving down. I can't remember if it was MLK or or it was Grand or whatever. And I, there was a really bad traffic jam. And I, I remember I looked in my rearview mirror to see you know how far back the line of traffic was, and there were all these elephants walking up the street. <laughs> and and I almost I like I literally freaked out. And it turns out the circus was in town, and they were doing this sort of parade around the east side of the city. And um, so, like, in, in I Am Legend, you know, there's that bit where he's chasing after the gazelles yeah. and the lions. Like, that sort of thing sort of freaks me out because it's like, yeah, that that sort of symbolizes, like, well, society has just completely collapsed. And, and seeing those elephants in the middle of Portland. In your rearview mirror? In the, and Well, we were stopped in traffic so long that they caught up to us. And one of the elephants looked at me, and he had this sad look in his eyes. And There's a better life somewhere. Like, I wish I could go back to India or Thailand, <laughs> wherever I was kidnapped from. I just, I felt bad for him. God, see, that's that. See, that's exactly the kind of thing I'm talking about. You look in your rearview mirror, and you know, there's, you know, there's a camel. Like you just, yeah, that is not, that is not right. That's not right, and it's just, and it's just. As Hunter Thompson said of, of uh, Richard Nixon, just queer in the deepest way. Just, it's the, just you know, it's just the, it's very peculiar. That's the, that's the thing with that. Well, okay then. Yeah. Okay. All right. And see, and then when you were talking about uh, I Am Legend and the Gazelles, then I started thinking about uh, what is it, Thunder the Barbarian? Because <laughs> Thunder the Barbarian was a, one of the first. I think Thunder, 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 Thunder the Barbarian. That might actually be the first post-apocalyptic entertainment I ever viewed as a child. It was, it's probably one of First post-apocalyptic entertainment shows for children. Uh, yeah, because I mean it's kind of creepy when you think about it. What, what was his name? Ook 
What yeah, was it? Ookla. Ookla. Yeah, Ookla, and then I forget the chick's name. Yeah. Uh, but I know that I have little tiny Mego figures of them at home that I found a couple years ago. But I don't even really remember what caused it. All I remember is in the opening credits, Thunder the Barbarian, uh, for you kids out there, it was, a, uh, it was a cartoon for kids. It was on way back when. And it took place in post-apocalyptic, what I believe to be New York. And... And at that time, like something being post-apocalyptic, you didn't really, I don't even really think we used that term. It was just like, it was like, I don't know, it's like in the future, but it's like now, but like in the future, if everybody was gone. I don't remember what's, what started the apocalypse. I just remember the opening credit sequence with the moon splitting in two and something else happening. And then there's like earthquakes. And then it comes to now where it's like, and then it's like a weird Planet of the Apes kind of a thing. And but the horses are mutated and they have these big white albino eyes and it's all very freaky. Ugh. Yeah, but it was like a cartoon for kids. No wonder we're all so goddamn weird. Uh, where you're like watching some guy who's like this sort of He-Man type figure riding a mutated horse that has albino eyes through a wrecked New York City that is overgrown with weeds, and the moon is still in the sky, you know, at night, but it's split in two. I remember watching that on Saturday mornings, like, oh, I'm eating honeycomb cereal or something, and just thinking to myself, oh, I don't know, the future's kind of scary. I don't think I want to leave the house today. Maybe that's why I don't leave the house, because all of the entertainment just postulated that leaving the house was going to end with you dying somehow. Good God. Apparently, the, the moon was destroyed somehow. I, I think a meteor hit it or something. I'm, I'm looking at Thundar the Barbarian on Wikipedia right now. Um, uh the moon, oh, the moon was broken in two pieces, but the gravity of the pieces drew them back together, orbiting roughly the same height as the intact moon once did. The shattered moon and the ruins of the former human civilization were supposedly caused by a passage of a runaway planet between the Earth and the moon in 1994. Ugh. Ugh. Yeah, that show kind of, eh. I, I didn't watch it that much. I, I think it just sort of, um, it seemed like too much of a ripoff of, like, Planet of the Apes or something See, like that. See, I don't think I'd even like... seen Planet of the Apes at that point. I was, you know, some of that, it's like you get weird, you get weird either gaps in your knowledge or things that you didn't get to see until way later than everybody yes. else. Like, uh, well, I, and I know you have your own thoughts on, on, on this, but uh, Star Wars, for example, I didn't get to see Star Wars, any of the, you know, the original trilogy, I never got to see any of those in the theater. Okay. Um, because my mom at that point in her life was going through a real uh, nutcase Christian phase. And it was, you know, there's only one force, and it's Jesus Christ, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> uh, and so I wasn't, you know, it's like, Mom, everybody, come on, have a heart. He says, no, you know, you're not allowed to see any sort of, her, you know, it was all heretical and blasphemous. So I wouldn't allow, so I couldn't go see any of these Star Wars. Uh, so I don't have, like a lot of people in our generation, you know, they have the story about standing in line to see Empire, and like everybody came out of Empire going, you won't ever believe how it ends. I don't have any of those stories because I couldn't see the Star Wars films in the theater. The only way that I was ever able to see them, and it was, you know, not like years and years after the fact, but again, it wasn't the theatrical experience. My neighbor across the street, a kid named Shane, he was like that kid that you, that you kind of, you liked having as a friend, but you hated at the same time you loathed him because he, he was, they were, at least by our standards, they had some money. And he had all the toys. He, his parents had a lot of electronic gadgets or whatever passed for that in the late 70s, early 80s. And so you liked having him as a friend, but then you just kind of... Like, you would go over there, and you just felt like Jay Gatz before he became Gatsby, just filled with <laughs> loathing. Um, and uh, so he had all this cool stuff, but they had they had uh, a Betamax, and I think later they had a VHS, but at one point they had the two Betamax things, so they would not only have the cool videotapes, but they could make copies of yeah, them whenever. Yeah, and they yeah. could. And I don't know how bootlegging even really worked at that time. I, mean, I imagine it must have come from some guy with a huge handy cam that's like a big shoulder, like you know, like a TV <laughs> reporter camera. But they had bootlegs of the first three Star Wars films. 
you know, over like however long after they would come out, they would get it on the Betamax, and it was all kind of wobbly and weird looking, but you could watch it. So I had this weird experience of seeing the Star Wars films, you know, like more or less uh, when they were kind of current, but like on this tiny ass TV, like on this Betamax, filmed on this wobbly handheld camera in Kennewick, just sitting in some guy's living room. It's the weirdest thing. So, so I have my own kind of strange strange sort of moment of forging in terms of watching Star Wars and having all those movies imprinted on my brain. And I didn't get to see it. And the other thing is, I didn't really get to see him like a thousand times in the theater, the way everybody, you know, like this, yeah. the, that. And I think that's an era that has just gone period, by the way, where people, and I stood in line and I watched that movie 16 times when it was in the theaters. That era is gone forever. Oh, yeah, because nowadays a movie will open on, you know, 3,000 screens or something like that. And what that means is that if it opens, when it's here in Portland, it's at Lloyd Cinema, but it's on three of the ten screens there. Right. Out of Bridgeport, it's on two of the screens there. And, and yeah, even as, I mean, Return of the Jedi, when Return of the Jedi opened in Portland in 1983, I believe it was. Yes. Yeah, 1983. It was only showing in, like, four theaters, period, on one screen at the four theaters. And so the closest one was um, the old Rose Moyer Theater, which is now Division Street on like 160-something. And I remember I skipped school uh, that day, went out, camped out with some friends. We got there like at 9 in the morning. The first show was probably around 2 in the afternoon. We just hung out all day long. But that was like, that was it because it was playing at there, I think the Westgate, and like maybe three or four other theaters. So it was very different times. How then. old would you have been, if I could ask? Um, <clears throat> well, I was a freshman in high school, so um, my math skills are pretty bad, but... What, like 13, 13 or something like that? Well, that was a different time, too, that you could just skip school and not... Well, well not I, even skipping school like you're in a basement. Like, you skip school yeah. and you're just sitting, you know, oh, hey, you kids, you going to buy popcorn? Yes. Okay. You know, that's all they cared about. You could just sit in front of the theater all day. Yeah, no, I got... I got um, the next day, I got detention because everybody knew... Because I was the only kid at my high school that went and saw it the day it opened. So I was, you know, simultaneously the most popular kid in school, but also, like, in so much trouble because... Right. We, I can't believe you skipped school to see a movie, you know. And it, yeah, but it was it was pretty funny. By the way, I am now clicking schedule recording. Hudson plane crash. What really happened? Okay, so I am taping that. Oh, excellent. So it'll be on my TiVo when I get home. God damn, I love technology. Um, I'm just gonna read this one email, then we'll begin the news. Rick, about the oscillating fan thing. That's the uh, the little uh, the thing we play sometimes. It's it's that Tim Riley oscillating fan story that um, our friend Calvin uh, sort of made a music bed out of. I teach a class at WSUV. What is WSUV? Is that W? Is that a radio Come station? On, there's a joke there. <laughs> WSUV is that like a station for soccer moms? There you go. I knew there was something there. Oh, uh, or is it WSU Vancouver? I think I, I know. I think it's WSU Vancouver. WSUV. More James Blunt. Uh, let's see. I t- you're just as young and pretty as you think. Don't pay attention to what that mirror says. Uh, WSUV and. I teach a class at WSUV in remediation and related topics, and I heard the oscillating fan remix on Wednesday. We are studying audio forms right now, and I thought that would be an interesting example for students to hear how a radio listener can turn bits of dialogue from a program into an entirely new audio piece for everyone to enjoy anew. Sorry to bother you, but I couldn't find that on your show's website. If you can help and you think it would be okay with the producer of it to share, please send when you can. Well... Sure, you. Have, that's fine. Uh, so uh, I'll send that to. Do we have that downloaded somewhere? I guess we do. I, I just played off of YouTube. All right. Well, you know what? I'm going to forward that to myself, and I will send that. Uh, so you, uh, Brett, I'll send that to you later on. All right. 
So I'm gonna. So you kids at the WSUV, you'll be uh, you'll be listening to the glory of the oscillating fan thing is like some sort of educational. It must be so easy to be a teacher in some ways. I mean, I know it's a tough toughest job you'll ever love and all that, but in some ways, if you're teaching something like that, that's just got to be the easiest gig because you can just make up crap. I mean, just like whatever you want. Well, today we're gonna be watching. Um. Um. um I don't know. Uh, we're going to be watching, uh, what have I got here? And then you just open your drawer, and like, well, what have you got there? Well, I've, you know, uh, I've got Can't Buy Me Love with Patrick Dempsey. Today we're going to be watching Can't Buy Me Love with Patrick Dempsey as a, as a meditation on consumerist culture and the interplay of dynamics of romance and finance. All right, I'll be back in two hours. Bye. You know, and then it's like, that's just the class. So if you could get yourself, like, a job, one of those, like, Phoenix uh, Phoenix University gigs or whatever, where you get a diploma and say, so like, you can teach stuff, that would be the easiest kind of thing to teach, especially for any of us. David Walker, you should do that. I actually have done that, but really? I haven't gotten paid. That's the problem. Oh, now wow. they just ask you to volunteer. You should get a call from some <laughs> one of those alternative high schools, and they say, you know, our kids, they just, they're not learning properly. We want you to teach them how to think by watching movies. And so I actually did that for a year. I taught a class one day a week, hmm. critical thinking through film analysis. Was it rewarding? It, it kind of was. I mean, th- these were a group of kids out of a, an alter- alternative learning program in Oregon City, and they were they were like the sort of kids who, like, when you were in high school, everybody sort of turned their nose up at them because they were, you know, whatever you call them, stoners or right, whatever. Right. But, like, I always had friends like that. So I related to him and it was cool because we you know like i would pop in like the matrix and i would just go okay now we're going to talk about violence in the matrix and then they talk about it and by the end of the class there a lot of them dropped out unfortunately you know they had a lot of problems but the ones that stuck out like they were you know suddenly in the beginning of the class in september you asked them what a theme was and they thought it was a song you know and i remember showing them platoon and afterwards like, I was like, let's talk about the theme. And one of the girls was like, well, I thought that this was really about, you know, a young man finding himself. And it was about, you know, searching for a father figure. And, and I'm looking at her and inside. I'm thinking, God, she was so stupid at the beginning of the class, but she's smart now. So it was, it was rewarding. It really was. Did you, at, now, I have to ask this. At some point, did you get like a weird third person meta perspective on yourself? And you're like, wait a minute. I am now kind of in my own real life movie. About a teacher who reaches those kids that nobody thought could be reached, and I'm doing it through movies, and then it just becomes like a weird Mobius strip in your head that just loops over and over again. It, it did have this weird sort of stand and deliver <laughs> moment, you know, where <laughs> totally. Um, and the kids were great because at the end of the year they had this little graduation ceremony and they invited me to come speak to you know in front of their parents and everything, and and so you know because the thing is is a lot of those sort of kids just get written off, right? And and usually by the time they're like 15, 16. Like, most of them are a lost cause, and it really takes someone to come along and go, okay, look, yes, you are stupid, but we could reverse that. That could be fixed. Yeah, it can be fixed. You know, it's not, you didn't have your hands chewed off by a chimp. No. You know, so. Uh, On that note, let's begin (laughs) the news segment of today's program with David Walker, ladies and gentlemen. And now, from the CBS Radio Center in downtown Portland, this is the news. Falmouth, Massachusetts. A customer shopping at a Walmart for a wallet claims he found something that definitely didn't fit the bill. Human teeth. Police say the man found ten human teeth Saturday when he unzipped the compartment in the wallet. One tooth had a filling. The customer turned the wallet and the teeth over to the employees of the Falmouth store, but left without giving his name. Police investigating the incident told the Cape Cod Times 
that the teeth belonged to an adult, but since there was no blood or gum tissue on the teeth, Ew. they would not be they would be unable to perform DNA tests. And this is the best part. A Walmart spokeswoman said the company believes that it was an quote unquote isolated incident, <laughs> but will investigate. First of all, I don't blame the guy who turned in the teeth for not leaving his name. You don't want to be any part of that story. You don't want to get mixed up in that. And also, it seems like one. It seems like some band we know. I don't know. It's some. I don't know, like one of those, uh, that band Naked Violence. I don't know whatever happened to those guys. I love that band, and I think they've just sort of, I think they're probably I think all... they disbanded long ago. I went to Stevie Violence's wedding, like, this past summer. Really? I, I think figured... they're all, like, wholesome and stuff. Oh, see, I just figured they were either dead or in prison by now, all of those guys. Um, Stevie Violence. Um, are you of the Portland Violences? Uh, the, but it seems like one of those bands ought to have an album called A Wallet Full of Teeth. <laughs> which would just be righteous. So, hey, you know, just, uh, if I could just stop for just one moment, uh, were you a fan of Naked Violence, the band? Yeah, I liked them because I remember um, that was around the time we were listening to like, a lot of porn store janitors. Yes, too. and it's just that great fist-in-your-face, like, kind of sleazy hard rock. I still have Do you remember the, their CD looks It's like, like the nude woman covered in cocaine and blood. No, that's porn store janitor. No, it's Naked Violence. Oh. Unless, well, but you have both of them. It could be both of them. Yeah. Well, I just have the, I, I lost the booklet long ago, but I have the CD, but it's just a girl's crush. It's a girl. Oh, well, I don't know who that well, was. No, that's Naked Violence. Okay, but that's not the front of the record. I don't yeah, think. yeah, it's the CD. It's, it's the CD itself. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, no, you know, I do remember that because remember at first I couldn't quite figure out what it was because it's bl- grainy and black and yeah. white, and I'm like, wait a minute, what is that? Oh, oh. <laughs> no, the front is a woman, this buxom blonde woman who is leaning way back like this. And she's reclining. I do remember that. Like not black eyes as such, although who knows with those guys. Uh, and then like covered in blood, and then just uh like lines and lines of cocaine and razor blades. I think actually on her body, and then on mirror next door. And I remember looking going. Before I even put this in, it's already the best album I have heard all year, uh, <laughs> and it's so great. Just apropos of nothing, wallet full of teeth. That band, Naked Violence. So you know what I heard the other day? I heard, uh, I don't know if it's done or if it's being mixed or if it's the final product. I heard a single from that band, uh, uh, Red Hot Pistol, that is just fan-freaking-tastic. It's called Big in Spokane. It is just one of the best things. It is so freaking good. So uh, anyway, if you all out there are familiar with Red Hot Pistol or if you've ever, uh, you've ever seen those guys, or they're, you know, they play around town, um, Anyway, it's quite something. So I'm hoping that that, that, that is done and finished and you'll be able to get that at some point. It's just, it, but it reminded me a lot of naked violence. Just like, like just stripped down to the bare basics and then just made as loud and, as possible and really like it was the last song they sing before they just begin savagely beating you and your family with a chain. It was just, uh, it was like, it was the song, like it was in some like horrible, like in some, like in some awful musical of your life, it was the song that the band sings before the gang raping and beating begins. And I mean that as a compliment. But music like that can walk a fine line. Because I, I someone sent me a CD out of a of a, a punk band out of like Amsterdam or something like that that was was sort of like that, but to the point where it was like, oh, I'm just disturbed now. I'm you know like you know like that like the first time I ever heard Pantera, I yeah. remember thinking you know I think it was Cowboys from Hell that album, and I remember thinking. Yeah, this would be a great band to just like put the CD on and just like beat somebody's ass to, you know. <laughs> but then this band out of we'll say it's Amsterdam called the Spades. I put it in and I was I was literally I was like afraid. Really? Yeah, I was like, wow, these are guys I do like. It sounded like like perhaps in Amsterdam, like they you know like how in some prisons they have recreational programs. Like, right. It was like. I bet you they have a music program in prison, and that's where these guys recorded this album. I mean, it was like, you know, and they were, and and their look was was scarier than you know, like you see 
bands like, you know, the Mentors or whatever. Trying to be all like, yeah. Yeah, but these guys look like the real deal. Look like they just come, like they, not even they just got out of prison, like they were still there. And I still have the CD, but I can't listen to it. I sort of look at it from time to time and just go, yeah. <laughs> and, and the title of the album is Learning the Hard Way. Uh, see, stuff like that, see, now, I, but of course, now I have to go find it. Now I have to go listen to it. I'll, I'll bring it in next week. I mean, yeah. The, see, I could have conversations like this all day about uh, albums like that. Well, you talk about the Pantera, about this is a great record to beat somebody's ass to. I have to tell you that I, I did not, I saw Pantera for the first time, and it wasn't Cowboys from Hell. I saw Pantera for the first time. It was right before, um, God, it was... Would have been. I guess this would have been. Um, I guess this would have been 1992, and it was right before what uh, vulgar display vulgar of aggression. Display, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was right before that record came out because at one point they did the whole like we got a re-, Phil Anselmo's doing the we got a record coming out next Tuesday or whatever. <laughs> this song's on it, and I had gone to see Skid Row of all people who were the headliner, and Skid Row was headlining on the Slave to the Grind album, and but it's like even though they were headlining, it's like you know, Skid Row at their biggest, they were never going to fill like a big, yeah. they were never going to fill the Rose Garden. So they were playing kind of basically somewhere between a club and a theater. Um, like maybe somewhere between, I mean, it would have been maybe about the size of, maybe the size of the Hawthorne Theater if you kind of doubled it. I mean, it was not, I mean, maybe not that small, but it was, a, but it was, a, it was an intimate place, not tiny, but, but, a, but a cozy venue. And anyway, so I'm, we're, you know, we're like, I don't know, let's go see Skid Row. Well, I don't know, do you want to get there early? Ah, sure, why not? And so we get there and I didn't really know who Pantera was at that point. And they came out on stage, and it was that thing of, like, I don't remember anything Skid Row played that. I don't remember <laughs> anything they did. I don't remember any of the songs. I don't remember anything about Sebastian Bach. Because Pantera came out, and I remember just thinking, and first, I'd seen their, their merch. And the merch, the one thing I saw, there was two. The, the merch had two shirts. One was just a huge pot leaf. Which gives you a totally false impression of the band. Like I don't know why. Yeah, even you're, now, like you're expecting like some sort of. You know, like why would Pantera be having a big pot leaf on their shirt? It made no sense. And the other one was just it was the vulgar display of aggression thing where the guy it was just like a, a screen cap of a guy getting his jaw punched in with a fist, and it just said in huge white on black letters, effing hostile. <laughs> and I said, well, okay, I don't know which of these shirts to believe. They can't both be true. You can't have that and a pot leaf. So they came out, and it was like, it was like I was being kicked in the ears and the soul and the heart for like an hour and a half. And I remember at one point they played that, um, uh, the walk song, you know, it's the dun 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 And I remember thinking to myself, like, in my head, I just pictured, I know this sounds awful to say, so I don't mean it the way it sounds, but in my head, I was just picturing, like, Lines and lines of Gestapo stormtroopers just dun, 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 just down the street and like just thinking to myself, there's something really, really, really violent about this in a way that I can't quite quantify. Um, but they were they were great. But then your thing about picking up the, the band, the Spades, and thinking to myself, this isn't right. I can't own this. <laughs> Back before there was the internet and the whatever, and even stores where you could listen to an album all the way through. I remember uh, Springsteen told this thing about how he would just sometimes go to Tower Records and he'd just like see like. 20 things that he would buy because of the cover. Yeah. And I remember he used to buy something because of the cover. And Sarah even probably has done mm-hmm. that. Where you go and you buy a record and you let it's a great cover. I'm gonna buy. I remember going to this uh, in like 90 maybe, going to a record store and seeing the, seeing the, um, the Butchered at Birth album by Cannibal Corpse <laughs> and thinking, okay, these appear to be, these appear to be zombies who are dressed as doctors and 
there's another zombie who's giving birth to a baby zombie, and the zombie doctors appear to be strangling the zombie baby as soon as it's born from the zombie woman. I should buy this. <laughs> and I, remember I took it home, and I put it on, and I got about a song and a half in, and I said, this is so deeply disturbing to me that I cannot own it. And I remember, I don't think I took it back. I think I actually just, I think I actually destroyed it and threw it away wow. because I didn't, I didn't even want it around me. And I sort of come around on that band where I just, I, I can't really just listen to Cannibal Corpse. But I, I eventually, I like read some interviews with the band and I actually, I own their documentary. It's called Centuries of Torment, which is just this three hour documentary about the band. Because the band, they're great. They're hilarious guys. They're funny and they're smart. They're, they're fascinating. And the whole the whole phenomenon of that band, who are like the band least likely to ever have any kind of mainstream success, the fact that they've sold millions of records at this point, they've been around for 20 years. But I remember listening to that to that Cannibal Corpse record and just thinking, I am not ready for this. I am so not in a place in my own life or head where I can listen to this music without being just that just was, unbelievably disturbed. That was like me with Heart Shaped Box. I was, I'm not in the point of my life where well, I could read something that disturbing. Remember that book I had to throw away? Oh, yeah, this, the, the, Joe, the Joe Hill book, yes. Mm-hmm. I, I had a similar experience, but, well... Along the same lines, walking into Second Avenue Records here in Portland, the the week Public Enemy's first album, Yo Bob Marsha Show, came out. Looking at the cover, thinking, "Wow, this looks kind of cool." So I bought it, brought it home, put it on, and was like, "I've never heard anything quite like this before. Yeah. I need to turn it off for a minute and prepare myself." <laughs> come and, back to it. Yeah, and then come back to it, and then like instantly falling in love with this band. And then what was interesting years later, seeing them live, and the opening band I had never heard of before. But it was Rage Against the Machine. So it was like that same sort of feeling yeah. like, okay, I'll get there a little early. Right. Maybe this band will be good. And and then seeing Rage for the first time. And those are always, like, you know, the the best shows. When you see, like, the opening act and the opening act someone you've never heard of right. before. Or, you, or you're not expecting anything from them. That's um, the first time I ever saw Tool was opening for Rollins' band. I don't think Tool's first album had even come out yet. Me and my friends were like, Tool, uh, they're probably going <laughs> to suck. We'll go. We'll get there early anyway. That way we can just, you know, get up to the front of the stage right. early and just like, yeah. Like there's one of these. See, you should do this, too. You should probably write like some sort of book about every live show you've ever seen. And just like you don't even have to talk about the band itself, but just like the vibe. Yeah. Yeah. The, I mean, those are guys. I, you know, like my OCD thing, I've got every ticket stub from every show I've ever seen. I, you know, and I'm, you know, like, oh, yeah, well, I remember seeing this show and, you know, yeah. I, uh, there was this, they did a thing called the Clash of the Titans tour some years ago, which was um, Megadeth, Anthrax, Megadeth, Anthrax, Slayer, and then, like, there was some, like, some, some actual opening, which I think was Alice in Chains of all people. But it was, but, but basically the gig was Anthrax, Megadeth, and Slayer, and they rotated every night who the opening act was. Okay. And so it was, uh, you know, so you, every night you get there and you're not quite sure what the order of the band was going to be. But going there, and, you know, Anthrax does Anthrax's thing, and there's Megadeth, who I love. And, and Megadeth have always been, you know, they're not, they're not, they're not like, a, like a metal or thrash in the way that a lot of people, I mean, you hear the name Megadeth. And, like, Megadeth, which, by the way, to this day is my mom's catch-all term for any sort of metal. <laughs> We're listening to that Megadeth all day, uh, just because it's hilarious. But, but you know, they've always been a much tighter and more polished and more pop band, I think, than a lot of people realize. So they kind of do their own their own sort of a thing. But um, but I remember Slayer coming out on into the stage, and you know, they don't really do. Like, there's no big production value with Slayer. It's just yeah, like some yeah. lights, and like they come out and like we are here to kill all of you. And they launch. And Chuck Klosterman tells a story. Much like this, so I know that it's not an isolated phenomenon. This must happen everywhere Slayer plays. Because Slayer, and then we'll take a break here in one second. Um, 
uh, speaking of the Cannibal Corpse thing, I told the story about Slayer's Rain and Blood album, which is considered by many people to be like the definitive metal album of all time. And three different times, I have purchased Rain and Blood. And I finally gave up years ago, but I, I would purchase it, I would listen to it, and I would try to, like, embrace it, but it was just too much. It was just too, you know, Angel of Death! You know, and I'm just, like, thinking, they're going, like, I can't, it's making me nervous, and I would turn it off. So, like, three times I tried, but Slayer came out on stage, and they just, I don't remember what the first song was. I mean, who, who, yeah, who can tell? And they just, yeah. they go right into it, and it's like the floor just exploded. I mean, yeah. it was like, it was like instant it was like somebody had turned a blender on in front of the stage. And I remember I made the instant decision. I didn't even ponder it. I made the instant decision to get out and go up to the balcony. I'm like, <laughs> I cannot. Like, I will, like, if I'm down here, I will go home with broken ribs. There was just no way. And I think they just have music, just had, which is what's great about it. It just has that effect on people. Yeah, yeah. Jesus. All right. We should take a break. We're way over time here. Uh, we'll come back with um, David Walker. More news around the corner. I say more news. Like we've <laughs> like got we've one done story like, in so far. Like we've done lots of news so far. Uh, back after this, it is the Rick Everson Radio Program. Don't go anywhere. All right, then. It's like the time I saw this band, Butt Trumpet. They're this, they're playing I know this, that uh, band name. Do you? Yeah. It was all these chicks, and they all had names like Blair and Bitch. Um, and they play this uh, place called the Bar and Grill in Salt Lake. And I didn't see this, but it must have taken. I mean, that was a tiny, tiny, tiny place. And so it must have ta- it must have happened somewhere near me. But a guy apparently got stabbed like right in the lung or something during the show. I mean, which is a great story to tell if you live, right? I got stabbed at the butt trumpet show. I also remember when that Pantera, uh, that Far Beyond Driven record came out, and I had this friend of mine. This grown man friend of mine who had a had a paper route, and just uh, he would just, and he had this bad Monte Carlo, just a terrible green Monte Carlo with like a, the roof was all like falling apart. And I would go along in the paper route to keep him awake sometimes, if you know, if I had a free night. And we would just drive around, and it, that record always seemed to be on. And so every time I hear that, um, how much is that song? That I'm broken song or whatever. Yeah. I just every time I hear I'm broken by Pantera in my head. It's like the the visual accompaniment is him like shoving a copy of the Wall Street Journal into a bag and then throwing it onto some guy's lawn. It's just the saddest juxtaposition. I don't have anything like that. Although um, the guy getting stabbed in the lung brought up a conjured up a memory. I can't even remember the name of the band, <clears throat> but I was at a show one time where afterwards I saw a guy sort of wandering around. You know, people are milling about, and he had he had been in the pit, and he had another guy's tooth stuck in his head that is fantastic yeah. it was like right about there in the forehead and it was like and you know we were like uh, i wouldn't pull that out i would just i would go to the hospital first and you know he was trying to and everyone's trying to figure out how did you get in because i've never seen anything like that before i mean i've seen some pretty weird things but i've never seen someone with another person's tooth stuck in their head well the combination of events that would lead to that is just sort of improbable it's like you'd have to have a loose tooth yeah and your tooth would have to come down on that guy's head, and your head's typical because your head is like round. So gross. Yeah, yeah. But your oh. head is your head is round, right? So it's like it's like it's but like it's also a squishy. But it's like a shark biting a beach ball. It's just difficult because it can't you it, can't it, get it any. Well, you know what I'm saying. It's uh, trying to get your teeth into a round a big round object is difficult, and then with such force that the tooth comes out, and then your head doesn't have a lot of uh, skin on it because there's just like the bone there. So is it in the bone? Well, that's the thing. And and as I'm telling this story, it's like 
if I hadn't have seen it with my own two You wouldn't believe it. It's not one of those things like, oh, someone told me about this. It's like I'm standing there, and I was sort of like thinking, you know, yeah, this you know, this might be like actually stuck in your skull at this point. That you might know, be a problem, yeah, Bob. Yeah. That might be plugging something at this point. Maybe you ought to have a, have a professional look at that. But if it if it had happened, this is years ago. If it had happened now, you know, it, it's one of those things you'd have whipped out your cell phone and totally taken a picture <laughs> of it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Here's David Walker, ladies and gentlemen. All right. Well, in Winnipeg, Manitoba, a Canadian judge has ruled that a man accused of, and I think we all know the story from last summer, a man accused of beheading and cannibalizing a fellow Greyhound bus passenger is not criminally responsible due to mental illness. So this is the well, he was Canadian, right? It wasn't just a trip through Canada. No, the guy, well, the the uh the guy who did the actual beheading is a Chinese immigrant okay. named Vince Lee. All right. Um Judge John Scurfield said that Lee should not be held accountable for stabbing Tim McLean dozens of times last January and dismembering his body while horrified passengers fled. Uh Lee's attack was described as grotesque and barbaric. Strongly suggestive of a mental disorder. Well, those are, that those are quotes. Seems like a fair assessment. I mean, look, I, you look. If that's not crazy, then I really don't know. what No, it is. and and that's I. You know, it's one of those things I don't want to picture. Sort of like I don't really want to picture this whole chimp thing from last month. But you gotta. I, I'm thinking to myself, what were the other passengers thinking? Because usually, <clears throat> in an attack like that, you know. Wouldn't somebody have, like, at least tried to intervene before it got to the point that he chopped the other guy's head off? But there's one guy who says, hey, let's calm down now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And and I haven't read that in any of these reports, which is kind of disturbing to me. Like, that's almost more disturbing because there was a bus full of people. Right. And, like, couldn't somebody have, you know, because that's what's not coming out. No one's saying, like, the guy was, like... You know, like total Tasmanian devil crazy, and like you couldn't get close to him or something like that. I was actually reading a uh, here's a lame I am. I was reading a study about this sort of group dynamic the other day in a, a book, and they were talking about uh, the famous uh, example. I think her name was Kitty Genovese, who was this woman who was assaulted and stabbed to death in New York years ago, while like 36 people like on the street, and there was like you know it's in the middle of a tenement uh, you know project. So there was like 36 people like looking out of their window, like look at that, stabbed. Ooh, and again, ooh, she's dead, and no one ever called the cops. And it became this it became this microcosm for like all that was wrong with New York City. They're like thir- police interviewed at least thirty six people who watched the assault take place. No one intervened or called the cops. Hmm. And the study found out that the more people there are who are witnessing an event like that, the the lower the likelihood that one of them will intervene or call the cops because everyone assumes that someone, someone else, else is going to do it or is doing it. Yeah. And so it's like they they said that if like if, they, if like if you at one person you're walking down the street and you see an assault you'll if you can't jump in you'll definitely tell somebody or call the cops but if there's like ten of you probably no one will because you were like well somebody must be on the way so the thing about this bus story I mean it's like all weird but a you know you can already hear the, the people that are screaming about not being guilty because you're insane but clearly that that's just nuts I mean yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a little what we would call bonkers totally because I know a lot of people who you figure in the wrong mood after one too many and a gun probably would take care of somebody but then to be like and now I will wear his skin I mean that's yeah. like a whole like most people even if you had the stomach to kill a guy if you you know if you were angry and drunk and tempers or you don't have the you know that's that's a whole lot of like after the fact that yeah. you've got to put into it and yeah, it's a, a, you know, it's one of those things you really don't want to try to put yourself into that mind state. I mean, I've been mad before, you know. But not so, beheading me. Yeah, you know, you, you go to Burger King, they actually put pickles on your burger by accident. You might get a little upset, a little a little miffed, as they say. Your feathers might get ruffled, but you don't jump across the counter and, yeah, that's just... 
Ooh, the, I remember reading about the story that one of the details that's not in here but was in the original story is that the passengers on the Greyhound, so it all goes, events start to unfold poorly. Yeah. There's the stabbing, the killing, the beheading. And then they said everybody was like, F this. And so the guy stops the bus and they all pile out and then they shut the door and they somehow block it from the outside. Like they put a bar across it or something. So the guy is basically, I mean, unless he broke a window, the guy is more or less trapped in the bus. Yeah. And they said that. Here's the, another crazy detail. After uh, the killing and the beheading, they said, oh, and then also the guy was, of course, eating part of the part of the, the body, like the ears, I think, or something. Yeah. And then, so then he just was holding the head in his hands, like uh, you know, like he was holding, uh, you know, the, the, the you know the head of Medusa, and he just started marching up and down the aisle of the bus, like as though he were in a one-man parade, yelling something to himself. And I remember thinking. <laughs> This world is just full of broken toys well, walking around. And this is the other thing, too, because, again, the details of this whole event have been, at some point, all the details are going to come out. But this is what gets me. Unless they were sitting in the very back row of the bus or there was no one sitting behind them, when they evacuated that bus, people had to walk by. Walk yeah. by. And that's the thing. It's like, you know, I'm, I'm pretty apathetic, you know. But I think that if someone were attacking someone on a bus and I was, well, first off, I wouldn't sit in the back because it's too close to the toilet and it smells bad. Okay. But if I, and I tend to, but from now on, I'm always going to be sitting at the front of the bus. Oh, yeah. You know? And, well, I mean. They had to be closer to an escape route. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. Buses are freaky. Like taking the Fung Wah between New York and Boston. So what is that? The Fung Wah, it's like it leaves from uh, Chinatown in New York. Is it a train? It's a bus. It's a bus. So it leaves from Chinatown in New York and goes to Chinatown in Boston. And then it goes back and forth. Le- there's a bus that leaves every hour, and it's like 15 bucks. Why is it called the the Feng Wah, Though is it like a is that just the, the 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 brand name or the you know the name of the company that does it? Oh no, I know there are different companies. I don't know. Or but, is that I wonder if that was a is that a, or is that a name for a type of bus service or something? That's just interesting. Hmm, I'm not sure. But uh, but is it weird? Is but it a strange it's vibe? It's totally weird. And I mean, they're nice buses, but it's cheap because it's like it's only 15 bucks wow. to travel you know four hours between New York and Boston. And it's kind of scary because there are all these like random people on there. Ooh. You know, everyone's just you know. Tossing 15 bucks at the driver and then you're well, the gr- trapped on this bus. That's the thing with the Greyhound. I mean, I've yeah. only taken a Greyhound bus a few times in my life, but when I was uh, when I was a kid, my mom and I occasionally would take a Greyhound somewhere, and it was even at that age I realized that there were some people on the bus that were just not they were just not functioning properly in any number of ways. And then there's a weird and there is a bus smell, <laughs> and also there is a specific smell. I can I mean I can conjure up like it was yesterday. There was a smell to a Greyhound station specifically. Um, the, the Greyhound station has just, just the oddest, and it's and it, everything there seemed to be yellow, like a like a faded stale cigarette color uh, yellow. It's all very creepy. All right, here's David Walker. I don't even quite know how to read this story because it wasn't that well written, but it's so amusing to me. A woman in Fort Pierce, Florida. Damn it! Damn it! Oh, wait, no. <laughs> yes. I suck. All right. A woman in Fort Pierce, Florida. Called 911 three times when McDonald's ran out of McNuggets. This is an emergency. If I would have known they didn't have McNuggets, I wouldn't have given him my money. And now she wants, and now she wants to give me a McDouble, but I don't want one. Whatever her name is, I can't even pronounce her name. So they ran out of, so they're out of McNuggets. Yes, and so she called 911 three times. I called 911 because I couldn't get a refund, and I wanted my McNuggets. But I mean. Three times. Well, they must have just. They must have said no and cut her off, and then she called back. Yeah. All right. Uh, I don't. She reportedly said, "I don't want a McDouble and a small fry. I want my McNuggets." Here's the thing about this, lady's this story. Crazy looking too. And 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 my read on this is like, 
Look, we all know America's got problems, and our country mm-hmm. doesn't doesn't work uh, as well as it should, and we we don't have you know our government is not tremendously efficient or competent. Oftentimes, seems to be actively evil, uh, and a lot of things don't seem to get solved, and a lot of problems don't ever seem to be addressed. Certainly, there are things that go decades without being fixed. But then you read stories like this about a woman calling nine one one because you know there are any McNuggets, and a guy cutting off some dude's head, walking up and down the aisle of a bus, going like, you know, hey, look at me, and like a Busby. Berkeley in hell sort of thing. And then you you really do think it's amazing that we make any forward progress at all. Like, there are times that you think about the number of crazy, like, let's say just, though, in the continental United States, just the amount of seriously weird and crazy people in this country, it is sometimes, you almost want to grade us on a curve and say it's amazing that this country actually functions at all every day with, you know, yeah. X percent of the people that are this way. I got a couple of these, then we'll break. We, these are from uh, things about this segment. So we'll do this, then we'll take a break. We'll come back. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hey, Rick. How you doing today? What's up? So um, your news guy was talking about um, his friend with the tooth stuck in his forehead yes. at the show. I was at a Soulfly show at the Roseland eight years ago, and a guy landed on my uh, the back of my head teeth first, and I got a massive cut in the back of my head. Uh, wow. And yeah, and that it wasn't that show. But see, it can't happen. It's just weird. It's But was the tooth stuck in your head? No. It, it wasn't stuck in my head okay. more than like a half second, but um, it was... Like, he did a stage dive, landed right on top of my head. But you got a, you got a gouge. Yeah, oh, yeah, no, yeah, it was a gouge. So if his tooth had been, let's say, loose, it might have gouged, you know, like if it's one of your, like, uh, like what do you call it, your uh, your incisors or whatever those things are, like your, your buck teeth, whatever those things are. Uh, like, one of those, you think, like, if it, if it was came out, it could, like, it could go, you know, get, you know oh, breaks yeah. the skin and then go, and then just sticks underneath. Yeah. Like yeah, it was being tucked into bed. I didn't realize my my head was gashed. I was like, I felt the the thud. The guy landed like just his head hand landed on my head, and I was like, ah, whatever. And I went out. I was like, woo, metal. <laughs> and um, then I um, and then my head was still throbbing. I was like, ah, oh, damn. And I put my head back, and I, I I touched the back of my head, and I put my uh, looked at it, and it was just covered in blood. And I was like, oh crap. So I had to force fight my way out of the the mosh pit there, and the. I walked over to where my friends were, and they're like, what's wrong? And I showed him my hand, and it was covered in blood. And some guy was like, oh, crap, you need to come with me. And he, like, drags me away from the show and, like, takes me to the back where the stairs go down and just puts my head underneath the light to one of the security guards, like, turns me around, like, oh, crap. <laughs> That's what you like, especially when it's a wound you can't see. Yeah, and so they take me downstairs, and I'm like, but Soulfly's playing. And then, <laughs> and then they sit me down, and then I, I like... I, I'm sitting down there with the with the bag of ice on my head, and I'm like, well, okay. And That's then hilarious. The, the show was over, and I never got stitches, and I still have a scar in the back of my head that doesn't grow any hair. Well, that's pretty metal. Like, was it like tooth shaped? Is it mouth shaped? Totally <laughs> smiley face. <laughs> no, it, no, but it's it's probably about a half inch long, and in I don't know, not very wide, but it's it's sort of it's noticeable. Like if someone takes a picture. There's the back of my head. You can sort of see a little bald spot. Well, you know, but the thing is, now you've got actual finite, uh, you know, just lifelong proof of your metal devotion, sir. (laughs) All right, excellent. Thank you. Thank you. That's way better than a T-shirt from that show. (laughs) All right, um, we come back. uh, And you know the scars on your head are kind of badass looking if you're a guy. And plus you can make up any story you want to go with it. My friend Jay set his head on fire accidentally, (laughs) and he has a giant... Like accidentally, he looks, though, <laughs> he doesn't really remember exactly what happened, but he has the hugest scar, like all the way up. But like he's, yeah, and that makes him look completely crazy. Is that Jay, Jay and Lisa? Yeah. Oh, Jay and Lisa Jay. I've always wondered, but I never wanted to ask. 
No, he set his head on fire, and then I think fell, and then like somebody found him wandering around, like covered in blood. He doesn't really know how. Hey Jay, you're uh, something different about you. Did you cut your hair? No, it's on fire. Yeah, I was there. I was there when he caught his head on fire. I wasn't there when he like fell down and like and cut it again. So Wait, like, boy, these are different fire. nights. Yeah, different nights. Okay. Yes. I love Jay. <laughs> well, who doesn't? Uh, well, okay. When we come back, somebody else has a tooth stuck in head story. Oh, come on. <laughs> and then somebody has a Pantera uh, observation. All right. Plus, more news with David Walker. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Don't go anywhere. Thundar, the Barbarian. Year 1994. From out of space comes a runaway planet, hurtling between the Earth and the Moon, unleashing cosmic destruction. Man's civilization is cast in ruin. 2,000 years later, Earth is reborn. A strange new world rises from the old. A world of savagery, super science, and sorcery. But one man bursts his bonds to fight for justice. With his companions, Ufla the Mock and Princess Ariel, he pits his strength, his courage, and his fabulous sun sword against the forces of evil. He is Thundar, the Barbarian. Well, I never realized uh, what a ripoff of Chewbacca Uclar, uh, Eclair, or whatever he is. is. All right. Well, it's a simpler time. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-3970. We're here with David Walker coming up later on. Uh, well, I, I had a sheet of what was coming up later on, but I've, I've lost it. I believe we uh, are going to be joined by Peter Carlin, though, uh, among other things. Don't forget, one random on-air caller. Oh, we're going to be announcing the Glorious Bastard of the Week. Also, one random on-air caller today wins a copy of My Two Dads, the entire first season on DVD, starring Greg Evigan of Tech War fame, also Paul Reiser. So, uh, uh, hello, Owen. Giovanni Ribisi, apparently, is in the... No, Vonnie Ribisi. sorry, Vonnie Ribisi. Uh, hello, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. What's up? Hey, Rick. Uh, when I heard about Pantera concerts, I had to call. Um, when I was 14, my first concert ever that I had ever been to in my life, I was freshman in high school, hadn't been to anything remotely resembling a rock concert, uh, and it ended up being a Pantera concert at the Roseland. I had never been so terrified in my life. It was, But I've never been to a concert since that was that hardcore and just rocked like that. I can't believe I walked out of there. I didn't know injuries as such, but... Um, I, I, I got, ended up getting trampled a couple times, and I was a pretty scrawny 14-year-old kid. So when would this have been? Was, was this, because mine was, I think we were saying it was right before the vulgar display of power thing came I out. Had, was, I had vulgar display of power at the time, and it was, I had, I, I had probably owned it just a couple of months, and I, and, uh, and, uh, my buddy invited me to the concert, and geez, was, so, that's so great. So that would have been around the same era, which is like, when it was just, because I think that was, and they reached a point where all the guys in the band hated each other, and the, the concerts apparently turned out to be kind of crap. They, they, at a certain point, the, the live show wasn't all that good because none of them were getting along, and I think Phil Anselmo was all strung out in heroin at a certain point. So that would have been the time to see them, really, for just like maximum fear-inducing value. That would be my sort of guess, but yeah. yeah. And, and uh, I, had I had never damaged my ears before either, and coming out of that thing, I couldn't even hear the car start. I was terrified that I had wrecked my hearing for life. Sarah and I have had that conversation so many times about 
where you go to the show and you you are like, this is the sh- this is it. This is the show that, that is going to make me deaf. I've done it one too many times. I will never hear again. And, you know, it's everything is full of My last one was The Killers. When I saw The Killers, that was one of the loudest shows I have ever seen. And I thought, I thought I'd permanently damage it. See, you don't want to lose your hearing at a killer's show. That's just, that's it was, embarrassing. It was I, a good show. No, I'm, I'm the king of earplugs. I will not, like, I carry an extra set in my car just yeah. because of that. Because I was, I saw Prong, the band Prong. I can't remember who they were opening for. And they hit this, this note, this bass note, and my knees literally mm. buckled. I, yep, I lost all my balance. My equilibrium was off. <laughs> and I was like, if I can hear when I get out of this, I swear to God, I, it was like I was praying, God, if you are me here normally again, I'll wear earplugs at every show. And I've done it ever uh, since. I, uh, uh, yes? I, Go ahead, I had sir. one other thought from yesterday. I didn't yeah. get a chance to get in. But when you and, and uh, uh, Jim were talking about the train guy that got into a wreck and had kids coming in the cockpit. Yeah. The first image in my head was uh, Peter Graves going, you ever been in a train before? You ever, did? You ever wanted to drive a train at 100 right. miles an hour through traffic? <laughs> That's kids Thank- come in the train. Ever seen a grown man naked? Thank you, sir. There you go. Okay. Um, I remember being. I remember seeing um, seeing ACDC on the Razor's Edge tour, and they did that. Um, you know, for those about to rock, and I guess they. You know, I think they do this every time they play that song. But for the for the those about to rock finale, they have these huge cannons that come up out of the stage, and you know, and he does that. You know, twenty one gun salute. You know, for those about to rock, fire, and these cannons fire. And it's like I could feel my thorax caving in. <laughs> and we had really good seats. We were kind of toward the front of the stage. And I remember just thinking to myself, Jesus, God. And it was after that show that I went to uh, whatever the local music store was, uh, the, like the record, the, the, the instrument store. And I said, give me the best earplugs you have. Give me the single best earplugs. And actually, and, I've n- and to, to this day, every time I go to a show, I try to have them with me, and occasionally, though, like I will, I will lose them, or I won't be able to find them. I don't know where they are. And in fact, I just bought a brand new pair a couple weeks ago because I knew it was going to go to this Wednesday 13 show at Satyricon. And but on the handful of times that it's like I won't be able to, to find them, or it's like I, you know, I'll look in the drawer and they're not there for some reason. I'm that guy that is like going to the, the weird with the vending machine, and you know, at the vending machine at her body's like, uh, do you have that thing that sells foam earplug deals? No. And then I'm like jabbing cotton or something <laughs> in my ears and everybody looks at you like you're the freaking old guy but you know what like i'm the old guy who's going to have his hearing yeah i'm the same way and i i was at uh, a wwe event it was one of the broadcast ones it was smackdown or raw i can't remember what it was with my my buddy ron and we had these ringside seats and when those pyrotechnics go off like you know watching on yeah. tv is one thing you're there and the first time i wasn't expecting it and I almost started to cry. It scared me so bad. It literally, I jumped, and I and I and the one thing that was running through my mind was, please don't let a camera be on me right now because you know they got the cameras panning the right. Car, and I jumped so, and I was like, hey, I'm so scared. I want to go home now. This just in: area man cries like girl at WWE event. Our own Tom Braxton is on the scene, and they just show you weeping in the yeah. background. Yeah, well, that's wonderful. very embarrassing. Here's uh, David Walker, ladies and gentlemen. All right. Well, Sarah handed me this, so I'm going to read this story because this is this is one she wants to read. It was for Rick. Oh, it's but it's for Rick. The dark heart of Austrian incest monster Joseph Fritzl is laid bare in a series of psychological profiles drawn up ahead of his trial, which begins in two weeks. Sarah knows what I like. Yes. Well, it turns out that uh, Fritzl claims. Is that, am I saying his name properly, Fritzl? Sure. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That. Uh, he locked his daughter, Elizabeth, up in the basement where she was for 24 years. For her own protection? For her own protection. Hey, look at that. To stop her from sniffing glue. Okay, let me, this is a quote from, this is, this is from his exam. 
with Dr. Adelheid Kastner, Austria's most famous psychologist. It was in the summer of 1984 that I found my daughter lying totally apathetic in bed. She had been sniffing cleaning fluids, and I decided to sh- that I should talk to her in the cellar. I should talk with her in my cellar. Okay, that sounds weird right there. We did that, but she reacted to my accusations with a couldn't-care-less attitude. A dreadful anger developed in me, and out of this anger, I decided to lock her up. And because in the coming days she showed no improvement in her attitude, I decided to keep her locked up. Now, for those of you that are unfamiliar with the story, Fritzl kept his daughter locked in the basement for 24 years. Well, he had a whole, like, alternate uh, apartment down there with you. Yes, the, uh... that's, that's almost... As long as it's just a little bit less than Sarah's been alive. Or That's weird. Mm. That'd be like you being uh, locked up since you were like four. Four. Yes. Wow. 24 years, he would rape his daughter repeatedly, sometimes as many as three times a day. This is where, and this is where it gets disturbing. She bore him seven children in the darkness. One died after three days and was burned in the house's wood-burning stove, and she miscarried another. He kept them all down there, and he fed them on a regular basis. Um, Here's the we were I think was it I don't know if it was a, it might have been Don Taylor. We were talking about the weird evolution of, of of the media and the internet and whatever, and how it just you lose track of these things almost immediately now because these things. I was talking about the what's his name, uh, uh, um, Dennis Rader, who's the, the he was the BTK uh, killer in Wichita, Kansas. Who, like in any other era, would have just, you know, everybody would know his name, everybody would know who he is, because he was just unbelievably effed. I mean, just so unbelievably crazy and weird and evil. And yet nobody, you know, yeah, I mean, everybody remembers Ted Bundy and whatever, but, uh, you know, the Dennis Raiders just it's fallen already through the cracks in our collective mental consciousness. So it was with this guy. Yeah. The, but, last, the last one to really make an impression was, was probably Jeffrey Dahmer. I think so. I mean, in terms of, like, weird, bizarre activities. I mean, there's there's been some other... You know, uh, Kip Kinkle, the Columbine, yeah. kids, those sort of events. But that's that's a that, that's a different sort of crazy. That's not the hmm. I'm going to drill holes into the heads of male prostitutes and pour acid in there to try to turn them into my sex slaves. Did you ever read? Did you ever read the uh, the transcript of Dahmer's? I mean, we can laugh about it now. Did you ever read the uh, the inter- the transcript of Dahmer's interview when they're asking him about? About like doing that, you're pouring the acid into into like their brains, to, like to see if he can make them into sex zombies. They ask Dahmer, they're like, and you know, and this is one of those things. This is one of those times where you do cling to like small bits of knowledge, like the fact that your brain has its, has no pain sensors. Yeah, like that they could just take out your brain with a melon baller and you wouldn't even feel it. Really? Yeah, your brain has no, your brain itself cannot feel pain, which of course the irony. Your brain is responsible for registering pain, like when you cut off your hand. Like, you don't really feel that in your hand. All, you know, you feel it in your brain, which is telling you it's happening there. Oh, that's there. too much. I know. It's a weird... <laughs> that's why they'll give you, like, pain... Um, when they say give you pain blocker, like, a pain blocker is not a thing where it goes to your hand and numbs it. A pain blocker is just where it turns off the receptor in your brain. In the brain, yeah. Um, that's why there's, like, those weird kids that are born sometimes where it's, like, kids who can't feel pain, which I saw in Geraldo years ago. On today's Geraldo, children who can't feel pain. And my, uh, my friend Heather and I, God help us, we were skipping school watching Geraldo, and he's like... On today's Geraldo, this little girl can't feel pain. And we started laughing hysterically for no real reason, and I don't know why. But you would occasionally lean on the stove and didn't realize it, because all your pain uh, receptors are in your brain. Your brain itself can't feel pain at all. Like, I could open your brain and, like, jab it with my fingers. You wouldn't even know it. So so that's what you cling to when you're hearing about how Dahmer was like, hold on, I'm going to drill a hole in your skull. What are you pouring in? Nothing. And he's pouring all this acid in. So they ask Dahmer, they go, 
So what'd you do then? Well, I poured acid into his brain to try to make him a sex slave. Well, what happened then? And Dahmer said, quote, He appeared confused and had difficulty forming sentences. So there you go. Yeah, that's a... Uh... Boy, I had tried to see his house when I was in Wisconsin, and they'd already uh, they'd already knocked it down. I was very disappointed. Yeah, that was just he was something else. He really, he really was. was. He did a piece of work, and now he's dead. I mean, in 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 the broad scheme of bizarre activities of of serial killers, um, well, they're all unique in their own way, I suppose. They are. But... They are. And and what's really interesting too is you know because there's been all these studies like they think you know maybe a lot of them had some sort of form of lead poisoning because there's like there isn't there like a Harvard doctor that did a, a, a study and that serial killers had a higher level of lead in their um in their bloodstream and and because there was sort of this rise of them you know of, of serial killers that were born like you know whatever like in the 40s and 50s there's this this working theory that maybe they ate lead right. paint chips or something I don't know but yeah, you get a guy like Dahmer or, or, or an Ed Gein, and you just sort of go... Ed hmm. Gein really is a... He's the gold standard, I think, in America. Oh, yeah. Always will be, yes. But, I, but you're right, because uh, there was uh, Gein, and there was... You know, a lot of people... Things that get lumped into the serial killer category, like Charles Manson. Uh, or even, like, the Columbine kids. I mean, that's more of a mass murder than a serial killing yeah. thing. But the creepy thing about them is, I mean, apart from all the obvious, was, like, all the weird planning and the videos and the journals and the, you know... Uh, you know, whatever they're, like, doing those like, diaries to the camera and whatever. But... After Jeffrey Dahmer, there's a whole bunch that I think I can sort of recall, but no one really cares about. Again, like the BTK guy, or even the Green River Killer, yeah. who was a huge deal in the Northwest. I remember growing up, and you hear about the Green River Killer all the time. And now that they found him, I, uh, what, his name is uh, uh, Gary Ridgway. But it's like, it, it, but no one even really registers that, even though the, the, he, even though the Green River killings date from before we became just sort of saturated with all this stuff. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. No, all right. Uh, well, there you go. It is what it is. Uh, Sarah. Did you want me to go over this Chris Brown story now, or are we going to wait oh, for this later? I mean, it, we might as well just get, well just get it out of the way. Right. Is this going to make me irritated? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. the people, this, you know, it's, as annoying as it is, this is what's happening. Yeah. This, this is, well, is this, the this, news. This sir. is the news, exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, Chris Brown is uh, set to be, um, he's being arraigned today at 3.30 downtown L.A., so that's in just about two hours. But um, this is from the uh, the actual police report. Is this what Sarah described to me before the show as being the, quote, blow-by-blow blow of the is, account? Yep, yeah, yeah, this is basically mm -hmm. the blow-by-blow. Blow. So, <clears throat> are you ready for this? Yes. yes. I'll read it as matter-of-factly as possible, and I'll try not to editorialize. An argument ensued, and Brown allegedly forced Rihanna out of... Uh, allegedly tried forcing Rihanna out of the car, but couldn't because she was wearing her seatbelt. Brown then allegedly shoved Rihanna's head against the passenger window. When Rihanna turned to face him, Brown punched her then continued punching her while driving, according to the detective's notes. Blood splattered all over Rihanna's clothing and in the interior of the car. Her mouth was filled with blood. Brown allegedly told Rihanna, I'm going to beat the bleep out of you when we get home. You wait and see. Rihanna called her assistant and left a message saying, I'm on my way home. Make sure the cops are there when I get there. Brown then replied, you just did the stupidest thing ever. I'm going to kill you. According to the report, Brown continued to punch Rihanna bit her on her ear, her fingers, and put her in a headlock. She almost lost consciousness. So this is the, this is the, now this is from TMZ. This is, of course, we know TMZ as the people who get information that, let's just say, we hope that they, there's never anything they have about us. Yeah, well, because, TMZ, they were the ones who had, they had the shot of her. They had the, the yes. photo of her face. Mm -hmm. And we actually talked to Katie Darrell from TMZ, and she said that they, 
they were so, you know, they protect their their sort of channels of information so uh, closely. She said she she didn't even know, not that she couldn't tell it, but she, she didn't know where they got the photo or how much was paid, but that all they were told at TMZ was like, well, look, here's this photo, and we got this in a completely legal fashion, uh, but we can't tell any more than that. So, and those are the actual detective's notes. Yes, uh, that's, that was, and uh, so they well, you, so they arraigned the guy, right? So he's he, been well, he's being arraigned today, so it hasn't happened yet. Um, it's yeah, so there's for three thirty today. Yeah, TMZ's watching right now. Says TMZ is yeah. live outside the LA Superior Court, waiting for the alleged alleged uh, uh, Rihanna beater Chris Brown to show up for his arraignment on two felonies. And you know, uh, you guys are we. This has been in a topic for ever since it happened a couple weeks, and but it, I think it was Don Taylor was talking about this, and and you know. Like, uh, we're guilty of it right now. I mean, I, the thing that I feel bad about is, like, what Rihanna's going through. You know, it's right. like, she's the one who, and I think we've all probably at some point in our lives known, you know, a young woman who, who or sometimes older women who've been in abusive relationships, and, and sometimes they just can't see the forest through the trees. Right. And then, I think a lot of probably what's going on with her, any any defense she's come to for him is that, it just makes her look that much worse, you know. I mean, in her mind, it's thinking, well, if I can defend him, then and say, oh, he's not as bad as everyone thinks, because then she doesn't seem like as big an idiot. I mean, I just had a friend who was going through that, and she was defending her boyfriend, and I was like, you can't defend him. And then she finally she started crying to me. This was literally just like a week ago, and she said, if I admit that he's as bad as everybody says he is. Then what does that say? Oh, about then me? it's like I picked him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, then. exactly. And it yeah. sucks because then you get alienated too, because then they try to avoid any kind of confrontation because they know what they're doing. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So what do you, what do you mean? Who? Like I mean, um, like say for, like Rihanna, like if anyone who comes up and talks to her about like saying like I think you're making a mistake, right. she'll probably in turn like not want to deal with it. So cut out those people. Oh, well, that's people just push you away because they don't talk about it. Well, and not only that, but again, and we should say I'm going to say a blanket preamble. Of course, these are all allegations, so we are just operating uh, here in the realm of theory. So he hasn't been convicted of anything yet. But you know, the other thing about it is, and you know, and. Also, just like Don was saying, I mean, we all know that you know abuse can happen in all kinds of ways, and you know, and and really nobody ought to be punching anybody in any relationship. That's just not the you know, unless it's like the sexy you know consensual storm large punching. Uh, really, nobody ought to be slugging anybody else. You just you know, there's nobody deserves that. So, but I don't know. Is that the, the guys who are guys who are like this in relationships too? It's partially what Sarah said, where the woman will. You know, doesn't want you know cuts off contact with friends because because she knows what the friends are thinking. You know, just the, what the friends are saying and judging uh, all all the uh, all the time. But the other part of it is it those guys always make sure that your contact is cut off for you anyway. Those guys always yeah. one by one cut off all your friends. Your whole social life becomes about them. All your free time becomes about that guy. Those guys become more and more controlling and controlling. I mean, it, because they all... The, the little, I've dated that guy. And I, that, that's happened to me where I've, I've had my friends and everything like cut yeah. off. You kind of become like a, and, like and, a zombie. And, and I really liked some of my girlfriends, but never to the point that... I want to cut them off from their friends. I right. want them to get away from me. Just go, go be with your friends. And this sounds while. like a weird thing, and maybe it is. And I'm not trying to be comical or being. I'm not trying to engage in hyperbole or whatever. But it's like this, this, this Austrian guy that had his like daughter in the basement, you know, for 20 years or whatever. Yeah. Like, obviously that's different. But, th- but that is the logical extension of that same sort of pathology that an abusive guy has, where it's like he basically wants you as he wants you as a doll for his, own, you know, of his own. That he can keep and you know keep in a cupboard, figuratively speaking, anyway, mm-hmm. uh, and just take out when he wants it, and then put it puts it back. I mean, guys like that just want to put you like a like a charm on a bracelet, uh, you know. And then that's you know anyway. So, but 
This, by the way, can all this be, be, be capped, and we'll take a break, can all be capped with the fact that, uh, according to what TMZ has said, that she is now, you know, she's already forgiven him, and it's going to be taking him back. Yeah. I think, I think they, they should, when you stand trial or you're acquitted of, of a crime like this, they should also bring up other charges, because he's been charged with assault and stuff like that, but they should also bring up charge of, like, douchebaggery. And then if he's convicted, they could say, Chris Brown convicted a douchebag. And so people would really know what people like that are about. Seriously. And, and also... Walker convicted jackass. And one of the other charges also ought to be, uh, you know, like, you know, making other men look bad. Oh, well, yeah. Making other men look like dicks. Like, I, so I have that. I do that on my own. Enough. Thank you. I don't need <laughs> you, buddy. Well, it's so annoying like, when people are jumping to his defense, which is fine. Whatever. People no, he's a troublemaker, well, Sarah, but a lovable like, one. Nobody understands. Don't, you don't remember what it was like when you're young and you're passionate and things just get out of control. I'm like, really? Passionate enough to like, punch your girlfriend repeatedly in the yeah, face? Yeah, I remember mm. what it was like. Mm. Uh, I remember how. I remember the many times I didn't punch anybody in the face. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I remember, you know, ooh, forever. You that beautiful passion. Well, you know, and just and one, final, one final comment, and we'll say it now because I don't have you know, we'll, then we'll move on from this. But, um, but you know, we were talking to Don, and Don says, you know, look, it, 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 you know, it's it's not just women. Sometimes women are abusive. And again, we always say, you know, same-sex relationships can be abusive and whatever. Nobody in a relationship ought to be punching anybody else. And I do draw a distinction between people will say violence is violence, and I don't think that that's always true. For example, I think if you're in a bar and some guy's starting crap and you're drunk and you punch some dude at the bar and then whatever, I mean, that's different than in a relationship, because as corny as it sounds, like in a relationship is where you're supposed to feel safe and you can be vulnerable and whatever. So that that is a different thing. But, you know, it, it just anyway. So the point is, uh, somebody uh, somebody starts beating on you like, you know, they get they get one of those and then, you know, that's it. That is it. So I had a boyfriend slap me once. Yeah. And that was all he got. Yeah. You're like, I mean, you know, it's like, you know, like, that's it. And, the, you know, the next time uh, you're going to be in a cell. So yeah. and see, I may, I had a girlfriend make me want to slap her once and that was it. You thought, well, this is going to end poorly. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So Good. Good restraint. Away. All right. Back after this, it's the Rick Emerson radio program. Don't go anywhere. And now, baby, oh, I'm alive. Oh, yeah. I'm alive. And if you will. Done, Sarah Dillon. <laughs> We're old. You know, this movie makes me feel not old as such, but I don't know. I can talk about this movie forever, and we can't right now because we got stuff to get to. But the thing about this movie—I know what movie I want. This is Singles, uh, the Cameron Crowe joint, and. Not a big hit, um, which I think this movie is actually the inspiration for Jerry Maguire, because he'd done Say Anything, which is a hit, and then everybody's like, we expect great things from you, Cameron, and then this movie came out, it was kind of a flop, um, and you really had to work hard to make a movie about Seattle, featuring Seattle musicians, a flop in 1992, mm-hmm. but I mean, he did it, mm-hmm. and then that's in that Jerry Maguire thing, you know, where he's like, at the beginning, he's at the Kinko's, he's like, way to hang your ass out there, man, this is how you, whatever, and then he gets fired, and... That was clearly him writing about this, just like the big failure at the beginning of Elizabethtown is meant to talk about Vanilla Sky, which was a huge failure. Um, deservedly so, I might add. Um, but I, I really do love the movie Singles, and I will say this. The thing about the movie Singles, it's not that it makes me feel old as such. It's not really that, because there's a lot of things from that era I can watch that don't, you know, it's not like I feel old. And, you know, you get older. What are you going to do? Nothing, nothing to do about it. The thing about singles is, at least for me, because I living in in Washington, uh, you know, at that time, singles is to me, it is in many ways a perfect time capsule 
of that period. It is, and I remember wanting to be old enough to be one of those people living in that time period because I was like in seventh grade or eighth grade, and that was all I wanted to be. Even watching it now, I'm like, God, I wish I was like in my 20s during that time. I and see, and I am see now. I have become that old guy who, when you're like, I wish I could have seen Zeppelin, he goes, Well. Yeah, I saw him three times. Somewhere around 25, bizarre becomes immature. That's what she yeah. says. Yeah, Bridget Fonda. Yeah, I remember that, you know, you'll, you'll be there. You're like, I really love Alice Cooper. And they'll be like, well, I saw him on the Welcome to My Nightmare Tour. Is that true, Todd told us? Yes. And then we all <laughs> went back to my house, you know, or whatever. I am now that guy. So when somebody says, oh, I wish I'd been there for that, you know, the, the singles era, the Seattle scene, whatever. I'm like, I was there. I'm old. Hello. All right. Uh, let's take a moment to speak with our good friend Dennis Pitzenbarger, host of Miles Around, Saturdays 9 to noon on this very fine radio station and Miles Around TV on Comcast Sports. Hello, sir. Hey, how you doing? Dad? I am fantastic, brother. What is up in your world? Uh, you know, uh, well, I am huge in Amsterdam. To you're, go with... I'm, your, your phone cut out. You're what? I'm sorry. I'm huge in Amsterdam as well. I was just going with the single <laughs> reference. Belgium. Belgium. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What Close. About... Are you there? Yes. Hello. Hi. Sorry, it's my phone in the background. I'm sorry about that. No, I just, uh, I, my, my, you know what it is? Is my faith in, in the political system in Oregon has been fully, uh, fully recognized that I, as one man, a difference that House Bill 2186 I've been talking about for a while actually got the governor's assistant to call me. And why am I uh, kicking the hornet's nest? So uh, it's been, uh, it's been an interesting week. You were for called me. by the governor's assistant. Yeah. Do you feel like this, this? Your name is going on a list somewhere of undesirables who will then be put on, on, on an actual enemies list once he achieves higher office. Oh yeah, I can already feel my tax. Uh, I can already hear. Uh, There's an my, audit coming your way, my friend. Oh yeah, you know that's coming. But it's it's been interesting. You know, it's 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 reassuring to know that one man can actually make a big enough a stink about something that uh, you'll get a reaction and get people to give you some feedback. But we're actually getting ready. I'm loading up. It's the Roadster Show this weekend down at the Convention Center. That's kind of the big deal this weekend. But uh, just been enjoying the show as usual. And, uh, you know, just like I said, I, I, I don't mean to scare you when I start to talk about the political process and my involvement in it. Well, what is that? And then, and then uh, the uh, television show, 1.9 million households via Comcast Sports. You know, between that and Belgium, it, it's got to be to like 3.3 by now. Excellent. All right. Miles around this Saturday, 9 to noon, and, of course, always on Comcast Sports. All right. Thank you, my friend. All right. Well, uh, as always, greatest show ever. Thank you, sir. Hang on. Dennis is going down a little wonky there. Uh, we'll get the, we'll talk to Mr. Skin from MrSkin.com in a few, and Dorothy Carcassari from the National Enquirer uh, will join us in a bit. I know we're moving on from the Rihanna thing, but now they've got some news on that as well. I will say, by the way, uh, just uh, one final thing, since I guess we're not going to be totally done with that story. You were well, talking. I think, well, and I think that it's we're talking about it, and everyone's tired of it. But I think it's good to put abuse. I mean, it's not good to be abused, but it's good to have it out there and like have people maybe have opinions about it about something you know it's behind closed doors so much. Well, and it's a big, and you know what, stuff like this can sound. And I just picked up a phone call here, so if you, don't be weirded out if it feels like you're on the air and yet not. Um, I mean, it's corny to say stuff like this, but but it is true in some way that whether I mean. You say, like, well, I'm, not, I, you're, I'm just a singer. I'm not a role model. But the thing is, like, you don't choose to be a role model. You are chosen mm -hmm. by people. Whether they should choose you or not, it, those are two different things. People, especially younger people, will choose someone as their role model. So it's like, which doesn't mean that you have to live your life that way, but it does mean, like, but as my wife hates it when I say this, but it is what it is. Like, it, that is just a fact. You are a role model. And at this point, like, and this is what Lara said. She's like, you know, in, she's like, when this story first broke, she said, really? Like, in 2009, we are still having to read stories like this, you know, about uh, some couple where, allegedly, where the guy is just, like, beating her ass, part of it in public, you know, and then there's a whole question of whether she might be taken him back or not, even though she's all you know, bruised and battered and whatever. It's like, are we really, are we still like that, you know, we're just not past it at this point. Um, 
So we'll revisit it here in a few uh, with Dorsey, we'll th- uh, Dorothy from the uh, National Enquirer. We'll get some more updates on that, more with David Walker. We'll talk to Mr. Skin in a moment. I want to take this call real quickly, though. Uh, hello. Hi. You're on the Rick Emerson Show. What's up? Hey, Rick. This is probably really off subject since I can only listen to you on the podcast, so I actually don't know what's going on. But um, okay. yesterday you were talking about wanting to talk to someone who had seen The Watchmen but not read the graphic novel. Yeah, I said yeah. that just my read on it, my read only, is that if you had not read the source material, my guess was a lot of people who hadn't read the book might see it and be very lost about what was going on. All right, well, I actually saw The Watchmen back in November before it was finished on one of those like pre-screening things where... Like had, a test group? Yeah. And I knew nothing about the movie mm-hmm. or the book, and it didn't make a whole bunch of sense. And then after it, I went and read the graphic, the graphic novel, and I was like, oh, well, now I'm going How How long was the version you saw, do you know? Uh, it was, I think, just over three hours. So there, that means like 25 minutes of stuff got cut out because it's 2.40 now, and that includes the closing credits, by the way. So that's it's about two and a half hours at this point. So, yeah, they lost 35 minutes worth of stuff. So it might have been, you know, Fatboy wrote a review of it in Ain't It Cool that really a lot of people ought to read. It's a great review. He nails a lot of my thoughts on it, which is, you know, and it's the thing. What I'll say, and I don't mean to be snarky when I say this. I really don't. I mean, it sounds sarcastic. And I don't mean, but I really, my assessment of Watchmen is good try, you know? Hey, good good try. You know, not really successful, but, but, you know, they had their heart in the right place. And All right. Uh, Are you going to see the new version, sir? Yeah, because uh, at the end, like the the end of the movie that that I saw, like you could still see like the wires attached to everyone during the fight scene, just kind of like pencil drawing. Yeah. Hey, was this in it? Was that already there? Yeah. So they made that bad decision early on and stuck with it. And that scene was like almost ten minutes long. Oh God! God damn! I think it was it was about seven minutes total. Let's ruin the whole song. It was the whole song. All right, all right. Thank you, my friend. Well, call us back and let us know what you think when you see the theatrical version, sir. All right, best show ever. Thank you, my friend. That's Ben. I don't ever, and I'm not one of those guys who's like, and they've ruined my song, and they've whatever, but. I love Leonard Cohen, don't get me wrong. Dude, and I, that is a beautiful song, but they have ruined that song. I'll continue to listen to it and love it. Like, the thing is, I did it, like, I won't let them ruin it. You know what I mean? I'm going to accept it yeah, and you're always going to think about it. Well, I just put it out of my head until just now. God I, damn. I divorced it. I was able to get past it. Well, all right. On that note, let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from MrSkin.com, the online celebrity nudity database, our good friend Mr. Skin. Hello, sir. Hey, Rick. Well, I could tell you that uh, if you do go to see Watchmen tomorrow, um, Malin Ackerman has some nice nude scenes. Yeah, sure. There's a, there is, I mean, people think it's a, you know, a superhero film, like a very sort of mainstream, like, you know, superhero movie we've been seeing for the whole family and all that. It's, you know, it's pretty extreme in a lot of ways. And there's a, there is substantial uh, sexuality in this film, as they say, yes. Right, and that's rare for these superhero blockbuster movies. So that's something that I'm, I think is pretty cool. Now, <clears throat> if you don't know who Malin Ackerman is, she was the girl in, that was nude in Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. She was uh, also Ben Stiller's wife in Heartbreak Kid. Right. And uh, not the first time she's been naked, but uh, she looked great. She's uh, very hot. And it's one reason to see Watchmen, though, it sounds like uh, uh, you weren't you weren't super excited about the movie. I was not that thrilled. I mean, I, I think people, I think everybody should see it because, A, it's, it's you know, just because it's a, it's a pop culture event. It's, you know, it's an important film. People are going to be talking about it. And also just because it is so polarizing, there's no middle ground. Everybody either really loves it or, they, or they're not or they don't like it. And so just it, anything that is so dividing is probably worth seeing just for that. Right. Yeah. No, I agree. Well, uh, also I wanted to mention about a movie called Incendiary, which was released 
on DVD in the UK this week, and it will not be on DVD here until May 15th, but we couldn't wait at MrSkin.com, so we had to get it because Michelle Williams, who um, obviously with the whole Heath Ledger thing has been in the news in the last year, but when I first started MrSkin.com back in 99, she was pretty popular on Dawson's Creek, and guys were saying, boy, I can't wait till Michelle Williams does her first nude scene. Well, the next year, she did a movie called If These Walls Could Talk Too, in which she was, and she's done a, n- a number of other uh, decent nude scenes, but Incendiary is her best uh, work to date uh, for toplessness. So if you have a chance, uh, check it out at our site. Uh, you'll have to wait till May to see it here, but uh, we couldn't, like I said, and uh, we're, we're big fans of Michelle Williams' great nudity in, in that movie. And one other thing, Rick, uh, we're in a nice period here as far as theater releases go for nudity. Uh, this kind of time between the Academy Awards and the summer PG-13 big flicks where we're getting a lot of um, uh, R-rated movies with great nudity. Like uh, next week I'll be talking about a movie called Miss March and Last House on the Left, and uh, both with some nudity. And uh, Last House on the Left is a remake, but uh, some great uh, skin that I'll be reporting on in the coming weeks. Excellent. All right, my friend. As always, doing the Lord's work. (laughs) Take care, Rick. Thank you so much, sir. There you go. Mr. Skin from MrSkin.com. All right. I love Mr. Skin. I love Mr. Skin. And me too. It's, you know, I got to say, because, you know, when when I was like 13, 14 years old and we had cable and you'd look through the TV guide and you would see, like, it would say nudity and yeah. sexual N, comma, V, comma, yeah. And, uh, and I used to think I was the only guy who, you know, like, was into this sort of stuff. Because when you're 13, 14 years old, you think you're the only one with raging hormones. Totally. And, um... And then it was years later, you know, you're talking to your friends, and you're like, yeah, well, you know, there's that scene in 48 Hours that takes place exactly 32 minutes into right. the movie when Eddie Murphy walks into the bar, and there's a woman dancing naked. And so, yeah, I love Mr. Skin, because he's... Um, he speaks for all of us. Yes. See, this is why, like, we're, like Don Taylor, who... I think it is just a Y chromosome thing, because Don Taylor, she's like, I just don't get it. She's like, I don't understand. She's like, especially, you know, you've got porn, and, like, you know, and part of it is... Like, I guess you got porn now, yeah. uh, but we didn't then, so I think, so I don't know. I, you know, I'd be curious to know the demographic of Mr. Skins, like what his, what, like where his prime audience is. Yeah. Because I would suspect, though, even, yeah, you got porn, there's, celebrity nudity is on a different, you know, it's a different thing somehow. It's, it's, it's not quite the same. Uh, there is, like, a different sort of appeal to it in a weird way, but I'm totally with you on that. Like, and I know for a lot of guys, like the guys, uh, when I was in the, whatever, how old, however old I would have been, maybe 12, 13, something like that. I remember trading places was the deal. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that was great. Um, okay. Well, because Jimmy Lee Curtis is like hella nude in that movie, and I don't... Blah, 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 looks like a guy, blah, 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 whatever. Uh, here's the thing about Jimmy Lee Curtis. Jimmy Lee Curtis is like Madonna to me in this way. And I've said many times that I can never figure out exactly if Madonna is well-endowed or not. Because from video to video, Madonna's cleavage, like her uh, chest size goes up and down, almost like it was sort of like, it almost, it's like, it was like, it's like it's be- being inflated or deflated like one of those bouncy houses at the <laughs> carnival. I can't ever figure it out. Like, it's pneumatic. Um, same thing with Jamie Lee Curtis, because you see Jamie Lee Curtis, and she doesn't look like she's all that stacked. And then you see her in Trading Places, and it's like stunt and moves. And jaw hits the... My, my and there's no body and I, double. Like, that's her. No, yeah. My cousin and I, we learned a very valuable lesson watching that movie. We snuck in to see it. We were probably like 14 at the time. And afterwards, we were talking. We were like, wow, it's possible for a woman who doesn't look that good to have a really hot 
body. Yes. And it was like like that whole concept was lost on us because up until that point, the only, you know, nude women that you'd see were like in Playboy, Playboy or something yeah. like that. And it was, and we just, you, you know, became, you never underestimate what's under the clothing. No, that's the, uh, the butterface, yes. you know, and that, and that's the thing that was never, I think, again, because if you wanted to see, uh, women who were in some state of undress, it was like either the bra ads or it was Playboy, where by definition they're picking women who are attractive head to toe. Yeah. But then, yeah, in a movie like that, you're like, wait a minute, I don't, oh, okay. Yeah. It all makes so much sense to me now. And plus, you know, back in the VHS era, I was telling Don this, you could see, just by watching a movie sometimes, exactly where the movie had been stopped and rewound, <laughs> freeze-framed, because something gets all jittery and blurry right there. And I've only, you know, you see that with two things. You see it with nude scenes, and then actually the one time I rented the producers on VHS, and the springtime for, for Hitler's sequence was that way, because clearly some guy, probably somebody was stoned, was like, dude, get in here! And he's like playing it over and over again. I remember watching a movie called uh, called Spring Break, when I was, which sounds like it's a porn film, but it's not. It was like a teen sex comedy. Yeah. And and here's the other thing. You guys out there know what I'm talking about when I say that, um, especially in that era, in the 80s, not only were you uh, just sort of uh, tantalized and titillated by the little things that were the descriptions of the movie. Again, where it was like nudity, violence, sexual content, adult themes, adult language. You're like, wow, this is the best movie ever made. It, it was like saying educational is what it was saying. Exactly. No, so not just that, but I remember being um, just very, very um, fascinated and tantalized by the the video cover, like the box of the cover of the video box, where you'd see like a movie like some, a movie that I don't think I ever even actually saw, like Screwballs, which is just a hilarious <laughs> name for a teen sex comedy. I remember comedy the cover anyway. of Screwballs with yeah. the boobs and like and something's a, covering them. Um, well, there, the, uh, well, there was that. And the other one, I remember, uh, Screwballs. I mean, like, could you yeah. make it more of a, I mean, that never, until just now when I said it out loud, it never even really occurred to me what a great title that is. But it's about the kids. They're, they're real nutty. They're screwballs. Um, <laughs> but it was a woman in, a, in like a bra or, or bikini top or something, and she's, she's like walking away or running away, but there's a man's finger hooked into the back of it, and it's stretching as though it's about to come off. And then there's also the one you're talking about with the hands covering and like hard oh, bodies hands. was that way. And I remember thinking to myself, I don't know what's in this movie, and I don't know anything about it, but it's fantastic. And then you watch them. Career always... opportunities have a similar cover to that. Career opportunities was uh... the guy, the guy from uh, Pulp Fiction. Look at the big brain on Brad. It was him, that kid, uh, whatever his name is, and Frank then he... Wally. Frank Wally, and it's Jennifer Connelly, and he is like down here, like you can just see like his head above a countertop or something, basically, like it's just from the head up. And she's but then she's high. No, she's look, leaning over his shoulder, but she's in this low cut wife beater, and even then had massive talent. Mm. And was and but was also underage by the way, so it's kind of creepy because she was like 16. But I mean, clearly they had figured or like out just out of labyrinth. Yeah, I, well, and the movie studio obviously, and I think she actually has said in retrospect she feels a little weird that they were, ex, you know, not exploiting it's a wrong word, but you know, but, but, but marketing the fact that she had such huge cans at like you know 16 or something, which is clearly what they were doing. Because there's that sequence where she's again in a low cut wife beater, and she's a very well endowed girl even at that age. And she's riding one of those, like, toy horses a in front of the horse. supermarket oh, for, like, yeah. a quarter. Where you put a quarter in and you ride the horse, and she's jiggling about and whatever. And I remember watching the trailer for that and thinking, I don't know who this girl is, but I want to know, <laughs> I want to know more about her. I hope she doesn't win an Oscar and then become bony and unappealing. Um, but, so there's that. Man, what has she done with herself? She's not pretty. No, and she's not going to do any more nude scenes, which is fine, because at this point, nobody wants to see her, and it has nothing to do with age. It has nothing to do with you. you got to eat. Yeah, eat a sandwich. Yeah, eat some fried chicken. Jesus. Yes. Some mashed potatoes. Just, but yeah, I mean, just give them, bulk up a little bit. Um, so we'll, just, we'll take one break here, just one second. Um, 
my my final uh, thought though was that the movie Spring Break. And here's the movie that and I know a lot of guys rewound Fast Times at Richmond High over and over again. Mine though was this movie called Spring Break, which is about a bunch of wacky guys that go out to Fort Lauderdale or wherever for spring break. Blah, blah, blah. And the one guy is kind of a kind of a nerd, and the one guy is kind of like his buddy who's kind of cool, but they've been friends forever, so it's okay that he has a nerd for a friend and whatever. And and there was some you know the obligatory you know misunderstandings and something or other and like some mean old man that wants to knock it down and build condos and they got to stop him and i don't even remember what the plot was i just remember there was a sequence where they're in their i guess their hotel room their motel room and these two girls come in and it's the sort of scene that is great because there's no point for it at all there's no reason for it to exist and it was just a girl the shot of the girls taking off their tops and the girls come into frame two of them standing side by side and they go like whoop and they take off their tops and then they just stand there for like 3 seconds because the director's clearly going 2 3 4 all right we got it cut and they just kept the and then they walk off camera and then literally it's like cut to next morning at a restaurant like there's no reason for it to be there it is simply so you can see these two girls take off their tops and i remember being like 13 and just uh, and just the rewind frame by frame rewind frame by frame re, re, you know wash rinse repeat sometimes literally <laughs> all right oh <laughs> bada bing and the butt all right i don't have a weenie in the butt sounder i play right now weenie weenie we should come back with that i have it all right. coming up next weenie and the butt butt wait, 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 butt all right, uh, more with David Walker as well. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Show. Hey, everybody. It's Weenie and the Butt here live at the Quahog Air Show. We're all ready for the Weenie Sound-Alike Contest. I don't know, Butt. I don't think they can say my catchphrase because they no funny. <laughs> oh, there it is. And if you think you can say that just like Weenie here, you could win $97.1 for the cool weekend ahead. Weenie and the Butt. Welcome back. Uh, excuse me, I, I gotta find a lost kid. Can I use your mic? That's what she said. Whoa, you got butt slam! <laughs> Listen, I could really use a hand here. That's what he said. Butt slam! <laughs> That's Manic Monkey on 97.1. Manic Monkey, 97.1. Cool, weekends in the morning. Oh, weekend long. In the morning, in the morning. On the radio. It's sad because it's true. <laughs> it really is true. I think Kastenbaum sent me uh, sent me that email too. He said, Kastenbaum sent Sarah and I this email over the weekend. He's like, OMG, I'm watching Family Guy. Weaning the butt is on. It's so true. It's so sad. Radio sucks. And then he's like, I, I, am I ever going to get sick of this? He's like, I think I might get sick of like, No, I'll never be sick of it. No. I will, I'll never get sick of that clip ever. Me neither. Someday, like when they ask me, what did radio sound like? I'll say, it sounded like this, kids. All right. And this is all true. All right. Uh, 503-733-2970. 503-733. It sounded like that mixed with an iPod on Shuffle. It's 503-733-2970. Thank you for coming along. Uh, we're here with David Walker. 
from badassmofo.com, also the davidwalkersite.com. Well, we'll, we'll, also we'll, the star of the movie. Uh, what was I was just going to say that also. <laughs> what is it? Let's, let me just back up here. You go to uh, uh, you can go to uh, badassmofo.com, or if you want to link to this post directly or see it directly, you go to rickemerson.com, and it's today's blog entry. You go to rickemerson.com, and there's a thing there that takes you right to this post. And it is – now, let me understand this. this, this it's, years it's, ago, it's the most humiliating thing that there's actually evidence of that, you know. So this is a film you were in. What is yes. the name of the film? Fatal Revenge. It or sounds good. Fatal Revenge. Fatal Revenge. What, Fatal what year was this? Uh, it came out in 90, but I, I was shooting it in 88. So 88. give me the ba- – how did you come to be in this film? Okay. Uh, one of my best friends, J.R. Pella, who a lot of the listeners probably know is former lead singer of Drunken Abbey's and Black Angel – we went to high school together. He calls me one day, and he says, hey, my dad knows a guy who's making a movie. We should be in it. I think it's a kung fu movie. So, okay. So we, We're in. We drove over to uh, Northwest 19th and Kearney, which used to actually be sort of the hotbed of Portland filmmaking, independent right. filmmaking. And we stood in line, and we auditioned for this movie, and we knew nothing about it. All we knew was, like, well, as long as it's not a porn, we'll, we'll <laughs> give it a shot, right? Excellent. And so we both, neither of us had, you know, ever acted in a film before, nothing like that. We didn't even have headshots. Like, if I remember no, correctly, I drew a picture of myself. <laughs> That's like, 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 it was just me. We were just not taking it seriously. So we both get cast in the movie. And I get, I read for this part, and the name was just Sanchez. So I read it with this, like, really bad, like, you know, Cheech Marin voice. Like, I read everything like this, man. Hey. There's, it, like, I think there was a, because there's this whole scene where they're setting up this big cocaine buy, and I was like, you want a thousand pounds of cocaine? It'll cost you $11 million. Like, that was like, it was like Speedy Gonzalez or something, you know? You do sound like Speedy right. Gonzalez. So, That's wonderful. So they cast me, like, I was, I couldn't believe it, and JR got cast in, in another part as a character named Guido, and and they give like movie stereotypes the <laughs> <Yeah>. movie <laughs> in 3D. And so I get the script and I'm reading it and I you know during the audition I only read like maybe four of like the 15 lines I had in the whole movie. Wait, is this one of them? You must be saving your allowance, Gene. Exactly. Uh, well done. Which you I, must I probably be said, saving your allowance. It was probably I probably said you must be saving your allowance, Gene. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so. I'm reading the script and it's kind of weird. And there's this part. It's kind of weird. And, and, and I and I said to Jr. I was like, Hey, have you read the script yet? And he's like, Yeah. And I said, What do you think of the part I'm supposed to play? And he's like, Um, I think you're supposed to be gay. And I was like, Really? And so I, and so I read the script and it never. Think I was messing with you? No. And I'm reading it because that's what I thought. I thought there's there's this whole bit where you know my character says to the. the evil drug lord about how I was hoping we could relive some old times and frolic together in the grass or something. And I was like, okay. And so I, I remember I got in touch with the director and I was like, is there anything you want to tell me about this character <laughs> I'm playing? And he's like, well, you know, he's Mexican and he's gay. And I was like, oh, okay. And I didn't care, you know. So I, I raided my mom's closet, got like some really silly girly clothes. I don't think there was a makeup artist. If I remember correctly, like my mom might have even put the makeup on. You're wearing like a pretty red, like, scarfy thing. Yeah, it's the whole, that whole bit was my mom's thing. And, and my hair's really bad in this. And it was. It's big hair. Yeah, it's. I was, it, you know, you got to remember this is the late 80s, Prince was still really big. And I was a huge fan of both Prince and Jesse Johnson, who was the guitar player for the time. And that was my attempt at trying to have hair like them. 
And it doesn't look anything like it. I know that. <laughs> I know that. It looks really bad. And, and I wrestled with, do I post this? Do I share this with everybody? Oh, you oh why not? Yeah. And so I did. And Like uh, any good professional. I'm glad that you came to the right decision. Yeah. I thought you were just doing like a Huey from the Boondocks kind of a thing. <laughs> but I guess not. I guess the timeline doesn't really work. Yeah. yeah. No, no I've, we, yeah we, we had a whole, just so you feel, before you finish the story, just don't feel bad because at one of the last listener parties, I think listener party 11, no, tw- uh, 10, we had... We did this sort of faux museum display of, like, things from throughout the show's history. And we had one exhibit that was just called, like, The Many Moods of Rick's Hair. (laughs) And it was my hair throughout the years. And not even, like, this long ago. Like, more recent than this. Like, bad, long Howard Stern hair. Mullet before that. When uh, I met him in 2002, he had a bob. Oh, I had like a, I had like a Prince Valiant when Sarah met me, and it was like, and it was, and it was colored. It was, like, dyed all kinds of different colors, but then I would forget to, like, update it, and so it would, like, the roots would grow out. I looked like a weird Eastern Romanian dictator. It was terrible. Um, and then and then I cut it, but I had this patchy facial hair that was like with a Van Dyke, but like yours, but like off-center. <laughs> it was off-center. Yes. And oh. then I was just balding. There was I'll, also I'll, that. I'll bring a so. picture of myself with the blonde mohawk if I can ever find it. Yes, must. Yeah. If I, I got to dig that one up. But yeah. <laughs> so, no, no, no. I, mean, I commend you for doing this. We've all, yes, we've all been there with the bad hair. Yeah. But so, and the thing is, that's that's not my voice. The 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 um the sound didn't work out apparently and after, shortly after we shot this I moved to New York City and they since the sound didn't come out they had to get someone in, in to do the sound so even though I had you know I'd done this really good sort of Mexican voice that is good <laughs> you know <laughs> you do sound like my friend Pancho <laughs> um, if I close my eyes it's like I'm in Puerto Vallarta. <laughs> I mean, I don't know which would have been worse, my actual Mexican voice that I was doing or this guy that they got who sounds like Harvey Firestein before his tracheotomy, you know? I mean, it's like the guy gets totally like this. Sir, do you have, and, the, uh, do you have that again? Do we have the, uh, the oh, little yeah. clip there? I was, I was looking for other clips. For so I, think the, I think the clip has a lot of profanity in it, but I think the, the, uh, just the short version is, uh, has, has your uh, – or not your, but the, the voice – uh, that is coming out of your character's uh, your character's mouth. Uh, you must be saving your allowance, Gene. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because our friend Siegfried emailed me this morning. He's like, "You must make David Walker say those lines on the air." Do it. Sorry, try to say it as gay as possible. You must be saving your allowance. You must be saving your allowance, Gene. Genius. Um, and yeah. So it was. I I think what's interesting because I just I was rewatching the movie. Most of my lines, you can't see my face because obviously, since they had to dub it, they right. did such a bad job. They they use the cutaway, so I'm not in it nearly as much as I could have been, which I, I'm sort of thankful for. Um, <laughs> do you know why they dubbed why they dubbed the voice? Yes, I do actually, <laughs> because uh, uh, this is allegedly allegedly some of the people that were in the crew had drug problems. And apparently, not only did the sound man have a drug problem, the rumor that I heard was that he was deaf in one ear. <laughs> and so um, so most of the sound didn't come out for this. That's film. so great. Was Bunny Yeager on the film <laughs> <Yeah>. crew? <laughs> Jesus. He's deaf. Well, that's like you... Uh, I mean, well, there have been at least two movies. One is... Um, Tromeo and Juliet, I think, yeah. and the other one is Hollywood Ending. Not a very good Woody, uh, Woody Allen. Sorry, not talking about Woody Allen today. Not a good film. Um, but where the director is like blind. Yeah. And and you know and so you see that the end is just a wash of blurry images or whatever. But like, would that surprise you to find out the guy was deaf in one ear? I mean, you know, no, it wouldn't surprise me. Well, hey, one of the films that I made, we had an asthmatic sound man, and <laughs> I didn't realize it at the time until like way it keeps into getting it. better. And I during the editing, I was like, what is that weird sound in almost every scene? 
and it was it was the wheezing sound man. <laughs> Occasionally interspersed with a <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Yeah, well so. done, David Walker. Yeah, All thank right. you. I, I may show that. We're talking about putting together a little festival this summer of independent films that were shot in Portland during the 70s and 80s because it was a very rich time, but people only remember Gus Van Sant. Right, And right, there's a right. whole host of guys who made films, and I'm some of them are of questionable quality, like the one we we're talking about right now. But I, uh, some of us are talking about actually putting together a festival of that. So we might... What about more recent ones, like Two-Fisted or like... Well, see, those are easier to see. That's the thing. Yeah. These are these... films you probably couldn't see anywhere Yeah, because they're not available on video or anything like that. But because I'm David Walker, I know how to get these things. So, so I'm thinking... Uh, <laughs> well, those I, Lost films are just fascinating. Yeah, they I mean, really they're are. just... I love stuff like that. Just, you know, and obviously a lot of people do because there's these festivals that go around of... I mean, there's the extreme kind of stuff, like the found footage film festival, which That's is literally just like, found some, film festival. It's like a movie they found in a drawer somewhere. But yeah. stuff that, like, I love movies that are, I mean, sometimes they're good, sometimes they're bad, sometimes they're in between. But again, as you said, it's where they weren't done as, like, a goof. Yeah. Like, it was somebody, because it used to be, and I don't even really remember this era. This is even before my time, you know, and I'm I'm kind of an old guy. But it's the, well, you really had to have the will and drive and desire and vision, because it's not like you could just go to Costco and buy a couple off-the-shelf yeah. cameras and be filming it. I mean, because even if you just film something on just the worst off-the-shelf stock camera now, you know, you can get, you know, a Mac, and you can get Adobe Premiere or something, and you mm -hmm. can sit there and you can whip it into shape and make it look good. Presentable, yeah. You can make it sound good. And it used to be that you had to, it was just like blood and sweat and tears to get a movie made of any, like a feature-length film took forever, and it took getting money from everybody you knew and working all night, every night, and starving and all of that stuff, you know? And you know what's, but you know what else is really interesting about these films, which is sort of the reason I want to do this festival, is you look at these films, you know, some shot like in 85, 86, 87, and the Portland that is in those movies simply does not exist anymore. Yeah. And and you can you can see this even, you know, listeners go out and rent either Drugstore Cowboy or My Own Private Idaho. Even if you're not a big fan of Gus Van Sant, but I think both of those films are great. Just rent those movies and I guarantee you that every location that he uses in that in, in both of those movies, they're not there anymore. And I'm old enough and I've lived in Portland long enough to remember all of them. Right. And so it's just kind of interesting because those become these sort of time capsules of, of exactly. the city that we live in. And it's, it's, it's both nostalgic and depressing to watch them. See, so. that, okay, see, which brings us full circle to what we were talking about earlier with the movie Singles. Yeah. And when I watch Singles, Singles is nostalgic and depressing all at once because it is, you know, as much as I wasn't a fan of a lot of the music that came out of that, that scene and that the so-called grunge thing in the Seattle town. And I, a lot of that music was beautiful and great. A lot of it didn't do, do a whole lot for me. Um, but there were some real moments of just, just, just beauty in that, however long that, that, that era went. And, another, of course, a, com a great companion piece to the movie Singles is, is Hype. Mm -hmm. the Doug, oh, yeah. Have you seen Hype, Sarah? Uh-uh. I haven't great, seen it. Oh, great documentary. You've got to see Hype. It's, uh, Doug Prey made it. It's a documentary called Hype with an exclamation mark. And it's the sort of pre- it, it traces, like, the pre, we'll call it the grunge era. Everybody knows what we're talking about there. The pre-era and then the moment when it happened and started, the peak, explosion, worldwide, like, grunge, Seattle mania, then the sort of punctuation mark of Kurt Cobain's suicide, and then, like, the aftermath. And it's just fascinating. And they interview all kinds of people, both famous and non, lots of archival news footage of, like, news clips. They call it grunge, and it's sweeping the Northwest, and it's... 
interview people, you know, like the Super Suckers and the guy who recorded a lot of those bands, the guy who recorded, like, I think the Bleach album and just... You ask Lisa Wood about it, she'll tell you too. It's just, it is so freaking good. I don't care whether, and, and it doesn't matter. You don't have to like that yeah, kind yeah. of music or that era of, you don't, it doesn't matter. If you do great, it doesn't matter. They have the first ever live performance of Smells Like Teen Spirit on film. Yeah. And you know what else is a great one too? And I don't know if this one's even available on video, but have you seen Malfunction? Yeah. Which I, I mean, like I'm a Mother Love Bone fan. And uh, have you seen that one, mm -mm, Sarah? No, I have not. Um, but like in a lot of ways, that's a great companion piece to hype. Because that's, like, you know, a very personalized history of the Seattle sound through Andrew Wood from, you know, former departed lead singer of Mother Love Bone. And that's a depressing movie. They show that know? at the Clinton Street. Yeah. 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 A while back. And, uh, but it's, it's pretty amazing because he was so involved with, you know, all those bands that, you know, he, he was one of those guys that was in, like, 50 bands. Yeah. You know? And, uh... You know, and of course, he's the, you know, he's the, the... Not that he was, like, a groundbreaking rock star or anything, but the thing about Andrew Wood is he... Uh, now we're, you know, it's like that ancient Northwest history thing, but, I mean, it, he, Andrew Andrew Wood, to the, you know, you, you talk about anybody who knew him or was around at that time, and he is the guy that... It, you get the sense that if you had polled every Seattle band and musician, you know, in, like, you know, the late 80s, he said, like, look, who's the guy that's going to become the breakout star? They yeah. all said, it's going to be Andrew Wood. And then, of course, he's the guy that didn't do it because he died. Yeah. Um, you know, and they, you know, and of course, that whole Temple of the Dog album is about him. That song, Say Hello to Heaven and Hunger Strike, those are about him. And then, you know, the, obviously the remnants of that band, they go on to foreign Pearl Jam. Yeah, I know. mean, yeah, because he was, he was, you know, Chris Cornell's roommate and best yeah. friend. You know, he's in a band with Stone Gossard. And, I mean, and, and you know, those Mother Love Bone songs are great. I'm not a big fan of his earlier bands like Malfunction. Right. And he was in Green River, right. too. So, um and I don't know why that hasn't been released on DVD. I mean, I'm sure it's probably like on Google Video or something. Right, it's probably like out there. Yeah. Um, but, it, yeah, you hear, the, the, the like, I remember the first time I heard the song Holy Roller, and then I guess there's that Stardog Champion, which we actually used as a bump on the show, which was kind of their single. They were trying to yeah, make it into a hit. and kids singing at the end. Yeah, not, 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 which is just a beautiful song. And then, of course, uh, the Chloe Dancer, Crown of Thorns, and the version that exists on the single soundtrack, especially where it's the two songs mixed together, is just one of the most beautiful things I have ever heard in my entire life but you see singles and from my vantage point this is just me speaking but from my vantage point singles is a very very faithful and accurate representation of a certain slice of northwest culture at that time that's why i love watching it because it's like the slice of life that i always wanted that i'd never got and it, you know and i yeah. remember seeing it like walking the streets of seattle and seeing people dressed like that and acting like that and, and you didn't think anything of it at the mm -hmm. time like every guy i worked with it seems like dressed like uh matt Dillon, where they all had like you know the, like the, the car, you know the, like the knee-length shorts or whatever and then like the shirt knotted around and you know which is all cliche now but it, you know and uh it doesn't, you know, it's not surprising that it's such a faithful recreation, though, because Cameron Crowe is a guy who obviously just speaks from the heart. And Cameron Crowe, you know, probably and lives in Seattle. Um, you know, Cameron Crowe is one of those guys who has such a painstaking attention to detail, especially anything involving music. Like, he, he has talked famously about fighting with his director of photography on Almost Famous, because in Almost Famous, I forget exactly what it is. I think it's like the car they're driving in when the mom, when Francis McDormand reveals he's that 11. he's 11. <laughs> But the car is white and the inside is red. And the DP was like, Cameron, this is the worst color combination to shoot against. I can't, we can't get the lighting right. It, can we please change either the color of the car or the interior? We can't. And he's like, no. He's like, that's the color of the car growing up. It has to be that color. And mm -hmm. he has such a freakish attention to detail. There's that great moment at the beginning of singles when 
they're just showing the club montage, and you see Mother Love Bone written on the mm-hmm. wall, which is which is great. And, and then when she melts outside sad. crying after she sees um, the dude that she thinks left, and they're leaning against that same wall. And it's just yeah, and it's just such a it's just such a great such just such a great film to watch, and and just that see and you know Cameron Crowe, you never just nerding like Cameron Crowe, but Cameron Crowe also has a real gift for those moments that you don't see depicted on film often enough that everybody experiences, like small real-life moments that you don't ever see. Like, there's a great, as crap as this is, in Elizabethtown. It's a terrible movie, but in Elizabethtown, there's that movie where Orlando Bloom is talking on the phone on, like, to Kirsten Dunst. They're having the late-night conversation till the, till the, till, till, you know, till the sun comes up. And there's a great moment where he hears, like, a beeping sound on his cell phone, and he reaches down and he takes the charger and he plugs the charger back into the... He plugs the charger into the bottom of his cell phone, and then they keep talking. Which is the thing everybody has yeah. done. Mm-hmm. Where you've talked so long, the battery runs out, and you've got to find the charger and stick it in the bottom. And he did that, and everybody in the theater kind of went, ah, because everybody has done that. And in singles, the moment there that nobody had ever put on film, to my knowledge, is when they're going into the club, and there's the guy parting the bracelets and putting the stamp on the well, wrist. I, that's why I've always wanted wrist tattoos, because of that movie. Because yeah. it says Rush. And every time I go to um, like get my... You know, stamp for a thing. I love wearing bracelets and like having them part it and like. Putting if you got that tattoo, the tattoo that is the club I stamp from did. Singles, I would think that was so righteous. I almost <laughs> did. I, I came really, really close. To I do it, but I'm not a chick, and I don't think I could make it work. That is so funny. That yeah. That's funny. <laughs> that that was that's the most quintessential part of that movie to me. That's right. so funny. Yeah, it was. It's, it's that movie's interesting for me because you know, I was here in Portland while all that was going on, and. um and so we never quite had it. It was like, you know, Portland right. was like one day away. And, and I, I mean, I remember the classic Portland shows, and I remember, you know, there's a couple bands that came through from Seattle and thinking, you know, you're hearing the buzz like they're right. going to be really big and like, no, nah, I'm not going to buy. Like, I just remember a friend of mine's band had played in Seattle. They were back in Portland. They were like, yeah, we just played with this band up in Seattle. They're going to be big. They're going to be big. And we were like, well, who's that? And they, oh, it's a band called Alice in Chains. Mm-hmm. And then the album came out. They hadn't come to Portland like as as far as I knew, and I remember listening to the album, going, "This band's never gonna." <laughs> this band sucks. Yeah, it, it wasn't that they sucked. It was just like, this is so morose sounding. Right. You know? Right. Like, this is you know, and um, th- yeah, but there are some great moments, and and so yeah, it, singles does sort of capture that. But then it's sort of like we were, you know, Portland was always that sort of, you know, the, I guess like you'd maybe call it the redheaded stepchild yeah. of, of the grunge right. scene, where it was like, like we never had the bands. We had the great, great bands that could have done it, mm-hmm. but for whatever reason, um, never quite got that sort of national attention. Well, and it's because so often you just, you know, it's like Eric Bogosian said one time, somebody wrote, he's a playwright, he wrote uh, he wrote, he wrote the movie Talk Radio, mm-hmm. uh, and he wrote this great play called Pounding Nails on the Floor with My Forehead, and uh, somebody, you know, wrote me like, dear, dear Eric Bogosian, I live in... Tuscaloosa, and I want to become, you know, an actor in stage play, and whatever. And he's like, move from Tuscaloosa. He's like, theater happens in New York and L.A., period. Anywhere else, you're never going to get anywhere. And it's, it really is that way with the music scene, but then every now and again, there's like a freakish occurrence, like a lightning storm, yeah. where they'll pick some other city. And like, da 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 Minneapolis, da 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 Seattle. And it was really with just freakish luck. that it, And Hype talks a lot about that, where they interview the guys in like TAD or somebody, and they're like... And it's so hilarious because they have never changed the way they look. It's like they looked that way before grunge, during grunge, and after these big lumberjack guys are like, I don't know. I mean, we were just like playing for ourselves to get like for beer money and stuff. Like I never thought we'd be famous or nothing and whatever. And then like opens a beer and, you know, they're like, we're just here. Nobody ever figured it would be Seattle. So we should take a break, get caught up. Uh, On the other side, we'll do um, a few news stories. Then today's high concept topic, which will be, oh, see, now you're just trying to make me cry. (laughs) 
Um, on the other side, we'll do today's high-concept topic, which will be music-related as well. We're here with David Walker, ladies and gentlemen, coming up at 3. Like us, Mike O'Mara Show at 7, and Phil Hendry at 11. Here's Mother Love Bone. It is the Rick Emerson Radio Program. that means I, I don't know what I would say 99% of their songs I don't know what they mean yeah but it just sounds badass yeah yeah I know I and thank listen you, thank you for having me on the show today this is so awesome I'm having a great time and just listen to that the sound underneath here it's the swagger first of all and that's a lot of that is Andrew Wood there yeah. but you hear that the way the music it almost rolls like ocean waves which is the same way that Chloe Dancer Crown of Thorns is, and it's the same thing that Pearl Jam has. And there's an interesting story about this. So freaking cool. Goddamn. Um, but so, Andrew Wood overdoses. The other guys are like, what are we going to do? Well, let's form a different band. And there's the uh, the oft-repeated story uh, where they placed an ad like in a, in music magazines, which I think is what you did at the time. Mm-hmm. And it was like Seattle band, you know, whatever seeks vocalist, you know, send send uh, send envelope for 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 demo tape or whatever. And the deal is, <laughs> yeah, I'm, falling, I'm doing that thing of just like the director's commentary thing of just wanting to stop and watch the movie. So great, but the deal was you sent off your uh, you sent off your your uh, information and the band sent you an instrumental cassette and then the deal is you would sing your own lyrics over the top and send them back and that's how they that's how they'd audition you. So Eddie Vedder sees the ad, sends off to the old Mother Love Bone guys. They send Eddie Vedder a tape of a bunch of instrumentals, and Eddie Vedder said when he listened to it, he said it all sounded like rolling ocean waves and that's the rhythm section here that has that churning, swelling, and falling action. And so he went out surfing, and he just sort of improvised all the lyrics to the songs while he was surfing. 
went home, sang them, sent them back. And a lot of those are the ones they still actually they ended up using on 10. Uh, to like Black, I think, and uh, Even Flow. See, now I want to get to the children's. Yeah. I always say that the only that there are only two good songs that ever had a children's chorus, which is Another Brick in the Wall, uh, Part 2, and Can't Always Get What You Want. But I guess this is the third one. Unless you're counting P.O.D.'s Youth of the Nation, <laughs> which no one is. Mother Love Bone, who were just such a million miles away from the Nirvana sound. Yeah. You know? Same era, same city. And in my head, of course, it's Andrew Wood in the studio conducting the children's chorus. I think we were talking during the break about how would the Seattle scene have been different if he had lived. Yeah. And he was such a kind of a David Lee Roth kind of a guy in a weird way. Well, the documentary has them recording the kids uh, in the studio. The Malfunction documentary? Yeah, the Malfunction. Because there's a group of, like, little black kids from inner city Seattle. I don't remember that part yeah. at all. I'm going to find it. I've got a copy ah, of see, it. I'm going to watch it up. And, you know, the Seattle scene is also, it's used to, like, boil down everything to just the grunge stuff when people forget. You know, there's, like, I, I remember I interviewed, what's his name, um, Chris DeGarmo, who was the guitar player in Queensryche. And they were, right at the time, they had, like, the silent lucidity, Jet City Woman era, whatever. And you could see that Chris DeGarmo was, they were already kind of, you could tell that they had peaked with silent lucidity and they were on the... the, the I love that song. <laughs> well, and everybody did. But the problem is, then everybody just wanted that over and over again. Oh, don't get me started on that. And please. so then they, like, followed up with... song ever? No, it's not. And I saw them live, and they, they did all of Operation Mindcrime. And, like, half the audience was just bored. Was like, that in 91? This was, it, was, about? it was right after Empire had come yeah. out. And yeah, yeah, same tour I saw. Where'd you see it? Uh, I saw it here in Portland. Ah, see, and the thing that I was always able to brag about with Queensryche for the longest time, and I can't anymore, is that I saw what was for years the final Mindcrime performance, which was that tour. Yeah. Where they came out, and they did like 20 minutes, then all of Mindcrime, and then like all the hits at the end, and Silent Lucidity. But then like, the record company, obviously, like they always do, says, okay, now just do that same song a hundred more times for the rest of your lives. And so then, of course, next album comes out. There's a song called... The Bridge, which is all about his relationship with his dad and how his dad doesn't love him. And oh, so not the evil bridge. No, no, no. It, you know, it's like strumming a guitar, and it's a lot of like, you know, you never built the bridge to me, Dad. Okay. For the, when you said the bridge, I always think of horrible suicide. Oh, no, 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 no. Okay. But I remember hearing it and just thinking, oh, well, okay, it's over. Yeah, this, you know, that's that's the end of that. I remember interviewing Chris DeGarmo, who was so clearly just, like, pissed off that they never got counted as a Seattle band. Because he, you know, because I think he figured that's what would have, you know, like given the band more longevity is if they had sort of been counted among that number and they weren't because they sounded so different. Like Duff McKagan from Guns N' Roses is a Seattle musician yeah. who was in a bunch of Portland punk bands. So, all right. Well, now I can figure out if I've seen the movie or if I've just seen like, like parts of the movie or oh, something. Because I don't remember that at all. You may have seen it and forget. It was a while ago. The movie, is, it came out, uh, I'm looking at it right now. I mean, I saw it in 2004, I believe, at, at Slamdance and... Um, I don't. I, I'm pretty sure I've got a copy of it somewhere. I would love to I see shouldn't that. be admitting because I'm, I probably shouldn't have one. But pirate. <laughs> um, but if I do it, I'll br I'll bring it in. Too, Excellent, definitely. And Sarah, you should watch the movie uh, Hype, which I actually own. I'm going to do the okay. documentary Hype. It is just, it's so good. And you know what? Whether you were there uh, or or not, like actually in that city, uh, you know, of that age at that time, it, it'll bring back a billion memories for you, just in terms of the vibe and the whatever. So you know. 
and the whatever, and the chicks are great. <laughs> uh, uh, shall we do a uh, high topic? Uh, high, high topic. High concept uh, news yeah. break? Or what I don't know. Do you have any news stories that you wanted to Anything in particular that strikes your fancy? Well, I mean, I've, I've got this stack of stuff you handed me, and, and there is but something this... if you sort through, and I know you have some that you really like. Uh, well, no, I do want... This one got me, though, so... Okay. Let's do this, and then we'll do high concept uh, Thursday. Ladies and gentlemen, your religious nutcase watch for Thursday. Religious Nutcase Watch for Thursday. Pamela Johnson, 50, of Gary, Indiana, didn't have cash for a woman seeking donations Saturday night, but the beggar had something for her. A beating <laughs> with a crucifix. <laughs> Let's see what's in my pocket. It's an ass-whooping! <laughs> Johnson told police that she was returning to her car at about 10 p.m. when an unidentified woman approached her and asked her for some money. She said she didn't have any money, is what, uh, is what Johnson told the police. In response... The woman produced a foot-long crucifix made of stone and started hitting wow. Johnson over the head. Johnson was treated at the community hospital, blah, blah, blah. So far, no one has been arrested, and the weapon has not been recovered. Alan didn't mention any other reports of... This Alan is a, is a police officer, by the way. Didn't mention any other reports of similar attacks involving a crucifix as a weapon. Usually, just for the record, a crucifix isn't a weapon. It's the 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 means of execution is usually what people use it for it's so. just it's just an odd and who just can produce a foot-long crucifix i don't yeah, know like, where are you hiding it's that? like carrying a fire hydrant uh wait hold on what have i got here oh pow that's yeah even mr t didn't ha wear a foot-long crucifix that's that's and a, a stone one too that's yeah and being beaten by a crucifix as you know it's, it's sort of like being beaten by a miniature electric chair <laughs> yes you know exactly, yeah. this is a thing we use to execute people i mean if it, it's not to scale though so i'm just gonna have to cave in your skull and Jesus, there you go. There's your. All right, uh, we'd like two quick things, then we'll do today's uh, high concept uh, topic. Let's see. Uh, a couple of these have to do with uh, people listening uh, online. This one says, Rick, I am sitting in Uncle Billy's uh, Kona Cafe in where? Uh, oh, uh, Kona, Kona Bay Hotel working in, was it somewhere in Hawaii? So I didn't say where in Hawaii, but I am sitting in Uncle Billy's Kona Bay Hotel working on a report while listening to your stream and felt compelled to thank you for being there. I fly home to Portland today. Looking forward to being back in the Northwest. Too much paradise. Aloha. That is Alice, uh, Allison living uh, or listening somewhere in uh, Hawaii right now. Uh, let's see. We have this one. This one says, Rick, I first heard about Mother Lovebone when I was reading an interview with Nikki Six in Circus or Hit Parade or something. He mentioned them prior to Apple being released, saying they were going to be the next big thing. Then Andy died. Um, and uh, this one says, drugstore uh, cowboy locations. The Union Avenue Motel is still there. Um, also, the pharmacy on 21st. Uh, best show ever. P.S. My wife has two uteruses. <laughs> well, thank you, sir. The, I appreciate um, that. That drugstore is no longer there anymore. The the motel probably is, but the drugstore is now like a 24-hour internet cafe. Really? For the record. I thought yes. the drugstore was in Southeast for some no, reason. No, it's 21st and Gleason across the street from uh, 
the Blue Moon and, and Silver Dollar Pizza. Got it. Okay, I know exactly what you're talking about. All right, shall we do High Concept here, or do you want to get this last break out of the way? Let's get the last break out, and then... All right. We come back today's high concept topic, which is music related, so be listening for that. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Uh, this email says, I'm stuck in Boise, a pit of a town, doing drudge work in a crowded room with spreadsheets. When I realized I had an internet connection, I immediately plugged in and got the show. You are making Mr. Hand not turn into Mr. Fist. Thank you. Signed, Boise Sucks. All right. Glad we can help, sir. Back after this. Don't go anywhere. Hey, final thing about that Queensryche show, uh, the one in 91 where it was, at that time, the last ever Mindcrime performance. And then they started doing Mindcrime and Mindcrime 2, like, back-to-back. So I can now no longer say, like, I was at the last ever Mindcrime performance. Um, that was the same concert where they filmed the video for Is Anybody Listening? And we stuck around because the guy's like, hey, after, after 20 minutes, the band's going to come out and film a video. Stick around if you want to be in it. And uh, my friend Phil had been down on the floor during the show and lost his shoes. Like he was getting passed around or something and his shoes came off. So we stick around for the video and then we go home. Um, later on, they had like, apparently filmed some sequences in the, in the arena after the crowd had gone home. If you watch the video for anybody listening, there's, just, there's a scene toward the end where they show the floor and there's a pair of shoes right in the middle of the floor. My friend's shoes. That's awesome. So I remember watching. We, we only saw it on MTV once because it wasn't much of a hit. But it came out and we're like, Phil's shoes! <laughs> and like that was it. All right. It is time for today's high concept uh, segment, ladies and gentlemen. Today's high concept topic the band you saw before they were famous. That is today's high concept topic here on the Rick Emerson Radio Program. So pick up the phone and call this number right now. 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. The high concept topic. Complete the sentence. The band I saw before they became famous is... Band I saw before they became famous is blank. 503-733-2970. We could start here in the room. Sarah... Hmm. Well, I have a lot of like early '90s bands I saw before they were big, like Sugar Ray and Wow. That Lit. counts. It does. They don't have to be good. Yeah, Sugar, I met yeah Mark McGrath from Sugar Ray and did Lit. he hit on you? Yeah, he was kind of creepy. Yeah. And um, I don't know. And then like a bunch of um, like stuff. Yeah, like Cherry Pop and Daddies. I remember seeing him in a room when there were like five other people in there. And um, yeah, Squirrel Nut Zippers. Where did you see Sugar Ray? Uh, in Seattle. I mean, I like a, it's some like all ages club. Well, when I was in, I think tenth grade. Wow, that. I mean, I guess you don't really ever think of a band. And I, it was that summer right before uh, the Fly came out. And I'm doing them a disservice, I guess, because you don't really think of a band like Sugar Ray as paying their dues, which I guess is unfair, because I guess even bands that suck pay their dues. <laughs> but you don't really, you know, somehow you just figured that they just came into being in an A and R guy's office. But you know, all right, David Walker. There's been quite a few, but I think probably um, the hip hop group Spearhead. Yeah, that's like really big with the hippie scene now. But um, uh, Michael Fronte was in a band called Disposable Heroes of Hypocrisy before that. And so when Spearhead came to Portland, they hadn't even recorded an album yet. And um, and the ad said featuring Michael Fronte of Spear of you know Disposable Heroes. So me and all my friends went, and there's this was over at La Luna, twelve other people in the audience. Really? Yeah. And now you go and they sell out, you know, these big, huge. I saw them open for the Indigo Girls, uh, uh, of all things. That would have been a weird show. It really was. Uh, All right. Hi, Concept. The band you saw before they were famous. Go. Hello. Hello. Hi. Uh, uh, Well, it was uh, 
Oh my God, I can't think. Mookie Blaylock opening up for Alice in Chains. And Mookie Blaylock was the in-between band. It was Mother Love Bone, which then became Pearl Jam. But in between, we were just talking about that. They were called Mookie Blaylock. Yeah, at the uh, Melody Ballroom. Yeah. There were about 20 people there. Excellent. Thank you, sir. All right. Uh, the uh, high concept topic, bands you saw before they became famous. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hello. Hey. Hey, I saw Alice in Chains back in, it was 91, mm -hmm. and uh, they were opening for Poison. Wow. There was also that time they opened for Van Halen. That also went poorly. They opened for Poison? What was that like? Oh, my God. It was awful. Who were you there to see? I, I was there to see Warren, but Warren canceled at the last minute. <laughs> God bless you. You're a good person. I can sense it. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's some Alice in Chain songs I like, and I am an unashamed fan of Poison. I love Poison, and I will, uh, I will, you know what? Anybody who has a problem with that? Yeah, seriously. <laughs> and they were great then, they were great now. So, I mean. I tell you, two songs into it, at least half of the Coliseum was out walking in the breezeway around because it was so bad you couldn't even listen to it. And it's just very uh, different, to say the least. They got booed off stage for Ed Van Halen. Uh, so, wow, Allison Chains opening for Poison. Good. What, what is your name? My name is Christy. All right, Christy, you call us anytime. Thank you. Thank you. That's wonderful. All right. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Band you saw before they became famous. Uh, not the Wonderstrucks. Thank you. All right. Thanks so much. Oh, I oh. love the Wonderstrucks. Wonderstrucks.com. never become famous. <laughs> Thank you so much. Hey, you're in, your, you're in this time right now, so on a future show. Oh, someday yes. when, I'm, when I'm famous. Exactly. Okay. And then he hosted a radio show. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Band you saw before they became famous? I saw 1981 Ozzy Osbourne, Blizzard of Oz in the Paramount in Portland. Well, that sort of counts because he left Black Sabbath and they'd written him off. Everybody you know, just you figured know, he'd be we dead. Actually, we actually went to, we, uh, they used to have a thing called the Oregon Jam. And we, Black Sabbath used to play at the Oregon Jam every year. And we went, it was my first year going to see Black Sabbath at the Oregon Jam. And uh, Ronnie James Dio was there. And they didn't tell anybody. They just all of a sudden, here's our new singer. Here's our new guy. Yeah. And one more thing. I saw uh, Megadeth uh, underneath the convention center in the Tacoma Dome. Uh, wow. I was 19. And uh, Sanctuary opened up for him. And they, uh, they uh, did a cover of White Rabbit. Wow. I don't know if you ever remember that. Music is weird. <laughs> All right. It is very weird. Thank you, sir. Best show ever. Thank you, my friend. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Band you saw before they were famous. Yeah, the $2 concert, Rick. I saw ACDC open for Cheap Trick. Bastard. Bastard. <laughs> Bastard. All right. I mean, I say that with love. Bastard. All right. Thank you. <laughs> we'll be like two more, and then we got to wrap it up. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Band you saw before they were famous. Yeah, I saw Radiohead opening up for Sponge. Um, the Weird. guy from the guy from Psychedelic Furs, newer band after Psychedelic uh, Furs, yeah. with Sponge, and then Radiohead, and they were nobodies, and he was, was going to OD on stage, and they turned out to be Radiohead. For Sponge, all right, thank you, sir. Uh -huh. And the other band you think of is Love Spit Love, by the way. <gasps> yes. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, so first off, I was at that Poison concert with Allison James opening. That was weird. Excellent. <laughs> and then I also saw Train open up for Ben Folds Five. That's one of those things where, you know, Ben Folds was just told he was taking those guys on tour. Look, these guys suck, but they're going to tour with you. Just accept that, Ben. All right, I'm morose. <laughs> All right, Ben Folds. Yeah. Thank you, sir. Thanks. All right, David Walker. 
Uh, you can be uh, found uh, at Badass with Z's, badassmofo.com or the davidwalkersite.com. Uh, what should people uh, be looking for there? Oh, I've got uh, uh, some new reviews that are going to be popping up real soon. I, my review of Watchmen is up right now. Um, and then the pictures of me looking really bad with my hair. Fantastic. And the YouTube videos. Yeah, yeah the video too. I'll send you a picture of me with like a mullet and my kiss makeup on. Okay, that I'd love Glorious. to see. <laughs> All right. Uh, Rick Emerson show produced today and every day by the lovely and talented Sarah Stillen for AM 970, the talker of the newsroom, David Walker, and the phones, Richard Bristol, the gatekeeper, Dave's in, webmistress, Bridget from upstairs, and of course, CBS Radio Portland marketing guru, Susan. Don't F with me, Reynolds. We do want to thank uh, David Walker as well as Mr. Skin, also uh, CNN radio correspondent, Steve Kastenbaum. Uh, and I think that was it. Yeah, yeah, all right. Yeah. Uh, like us next, Michael Maris show at 7, Phil Hendry at 11. See you tomorrow at 10 for the recap, 11 for the show. Thank you for listening. Be safe. What's up for snakes? Bye now. I want to sit up a thousand pounds by. You must be saving your allowance, Gene.